Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Gurgoni. Oh man, Gurgoni, once a, once in a while, as we do on the show, about monthly, although due to weird stuff, uh, this is actually our November monthly episode. So, <laughs> Yeah, due to some scheduling issues, some uh, minor medical emergencies, and a uh, couple of scheduling snafus, we have had to yep. shuffle this around a couple of times. Yeah, though that really didn't affect anyone because uh, any of our listeners or viewers because they got to finish out the manga series mm. with us uh, before we got this. So this is actually kind of a nice place to place this. But we've been uh, wanting to talk about uh, some new things going on in Star Wars and not just continue to live in the 70s and or the 90s, depending on the needs of anything. There's also construction happening. Yeah, lest we forget, I'm also plagued yet again uh, with yeah. a, a endless amount of construction. They're building a, looks like some kind of towering statue of three force gods looking off into the oh. distance just outside oh. my window. Oh no, you're going to get out of there. What? What's, what's up, John? <laughs> One of them's beckoning. Is that weird? Oh God. <laughs> Suddenly it just cuts the static and you're gone. <laughs> um No, yeah, we want to talk about it because we've you know, we we live in the past of Star Wars on our on our regular panel, uh, for the most part. Uh, and, and you know, I mean I think as far as we've come is the nineties so uh, in the show. We are dramatically moving from a uh, talking about Star Wars with that whose creators have zero context for what Star Wars will become to the show that has literally the most context you could possibly want for a Star Wars thing. In fact, Someone, some would argue too much. Well, I was going to say, that's an interesting <laughs> thing. We are going to talk about season one of Ahsoka is what we're talking about here today. Um, but yes, I, we'll start with that because I have heard mostly positive reaction to the show, but some... Um, irk some people that they may not fully know what's going on in this show or the entire context for the characters that we find in this because it is so tied to the animated series specifically rebels mostly rebels mostly though like for the context of the character ahsoka the yeah. lack of clone wars is like a large chunk of this character's growth because if oh of course and I mean and this show will make that expressly clear, yeah. Uh, but the yeah because if you're just watching the live action stuff, mm -hmm. you've seen Ahsoka like twice. You've seen her once in season two of The Mandalorian, okay. and you and then, saw her a second time in the season two point five of The Mandalorian, which was wedged in the middle of the Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett, yeah, and so that's <laughs> and that's that's that so. That's not a whole lot of context for this character. I mean, I think you get a sense of her general vibe, but this show uh, basically starts from like, it's your favorite character, Ahsoka, who you've known for years. Plus all your and, friends who you remember, right? right? And, the, and the, the crew of the Ghost, who everyone knows and loves. <laughs> and also is very much aware of the context post the Rebels show and, and what, because we just kind of jump into a post Rebels storyline here, yeah. where we're like, we got to resolve the stuff from Rebels, you guys. Th this was described pretty early on as just season five of Rebels, and it really is in a big way. That's, I mean, that's a huge part of it for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, now, there's, there's, yeah. Whether or not you can roll with that and like accept the lack of context or 
if the idea that this is the culmination of like several at this point decades long stories being told across different yeah. mediums and like series that were probably not as widely available like prior to Disney Plus though honestly at this point they've been sitting on that Disney Plus streaming service for years at this point oh yeah yeah you've you've had time to catch up on all star wars stuff should you want to and this is the thing we and i think star wars has i think with this in particular has really crossed into the same uh level of commitment and intercontinuity as as the marvel universe i mean it's not as expansive because they're just they don't make as much but they're starting to make more and more star wars all the time um but it is starting to become a thing where you're you're either going to watch all of it, people like us who are going to consume all the stuff, or you're going to not and just accept that. Sometimes you're going to be confused. Yeah, and this is a broader conversation that I think a lot of people are beginning to have about like streaming content in general. But mm-hmm. and and just like the consumption of multimedia franchises in general because that is kind of the the monoculture these days is Marvel is your star Wars is your like name, your franchise you're very passionate about. Um, Right. Yeah. Obviously Marvel and star Wars are the biggest ones because they have so many different variants of them, whether it be movies or TV shows or book books or comic books that all tie into what could be considered a central canon. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Whether or not a a dedication to all of it is quote unquote required, right? Right. Yes, that's that's always the thing, and we bring that up all the time when we talk about Marvel. Right? Is that yeah. I'm always fascinated by the people who don't watch everything. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I mean, especially in a post End Game world, I feel like that's honestly less detrimental. Up, mm. like I, the wild one to me was always the people who went in to Endgame completely blind, being like, well, everyone's talking about this Endgame movie. It's like, yeah, because it has 15 yeah. years of context I, behind it. <laughs> I was, there were people who go like, this is the first Marvel I've watched. I'm like, oh, horrible place to begin. <laughs> like skipping to the last chapter of a book and going, I'll just start here. I'm just going to watch Godfather Part 2 and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but, uh, no, so the, I, I think... Uh, yeah, I think that that's become a discussion though. That's it, it's it's always been a part of Star Wars, but it definitely feels like it's more it's more pressing now. And especially because once they started to break down the barriers between the live action and the animated stuff, then it really I think started to become because I there were and we've talked about this before, of course, but like there are these people who are just like, well, if it's a cartoon, then I'm not watching it. I'm yep. only watching live action stuff. And and that, you know, and for a while you could do that and have no issues. I can respect that to a certain extent if it's just a complete aesthetic like I don't mm-hmm. dig what it looks like. And if that's yeah. what it is for you, like art is subjective. You can not like something, that's okay. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. But let me see the, the the way I feel about that now is that that's all to lead me to is like it's tough for me to accept that attitude if you're then bitching about Ahsoka. You're not able to understand Ahsoka. It's like, well, there is stuff that could. You just won't watch it. Yeah. Um, because I, I, literally I saw a review where these guys were so frustrated. And they go like, why didn't the show 
do flashbacks where they could have done live action versions of scenes from Rebels. I'm like, no, that's not on this show to stop its own narrative momentum to fill people in on what, you know, is once again, literally right there on the app. Well, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. If you want that sort of thing. And we'll talk about episode five, which is, I think like that is that this show doing that in a very elegant and beautiful way. Yes, they. Yes, exactly. It's not literally just going previously in Ahsoka's life. Yeah, um, no, they they but, tie it up with like thematic flashbacks and like dream sequences that are evocative of the character growth we got over the course of seven seasons of the Clone Wars. It's uh, it's that episode is amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to spend my point with this. Is I don't want to spend too much time dwelling on the people shitting on this show because no, well, because you, that Star Wars, you could literally do it forever. Yeah. And we've talked enough about the the people who always crawl out of the woodwork on every single thing these days. No matter what's coming out, it could be a Star Wars show, it could be a Marvel movie, it could be a remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. There are always... By the way, <laughs> by the way did you see that picture they I released? I did. It's very unsettling. It reminds me of a Zemeckis film, but... <laughs> Yes, it's very unsettling, but I but I'm I, I'm also going like I don't know, man. Looks like they're trying to make it look like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So all the stuff about like this ain't. It's like I don't know. It looks kind of like my daddy's Seven or you know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Because you Maybe know what, all of those Disney remakes have pretty much been trying to do that since Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Yeah. What? It, <laughs> yeah. The the wokeifying of Disney. I'm like I you know it's. They haven't exactly been taking any hard swerves in those I haven't films. Seen any. I have not seen hardly any. Uh, I do want to just quickly, if if you do want to hear more people uh, get into that whole mindset uh, in in, a, in an interesting way, I highly recommend a YouTube channel called Pillar of Garbage, who is a video <laughs> who is a video essayist who really dives into what that psychology of that type of uh, reviews. Is and he's a very smart, very uh, funny, insightful, okay. and I thank him for taking that on, so I don't have to. That of just exploring. I mean, he does other stuff. He's he's a pop culture video essayist, sure. but he does a lot of videos about uh, what is wrong with those guys from like a film, like an actual film review standpoint. That's some Morgan Spurlock super size yeah. me levels of I'm going to do something insanely damaging to yeah. my health. For it's a documentarian's sake. I will say, it's been really good for my health that he's doing that, because then I don't watch those guys, and instead I just sure. go like, oh, look, he's going to, yeah. Um, really, uh, so anyway, yeah, Pillar of Garbage is another YouTube channel you should check out. I really like what he's doing okay. over there. Um, but yes, talking about Ahsoka, I mean, I think, right off the bat, I think we're both pretty keen on this show. I mean, I know it's another shocking, hot take that we like to Star Wars thing, but... And, um, and here's the thing, right? Like, I am the most biased person like yeah, yeah at the end of the day there are very few star wars things that i will go no that wasn't good because like i just I, i'll accept most of them for what they are there's really there's really only even a couple i will say that about truly i mean that i truly just i mean i like all the disney plus shows i have liked baseline liked all of them as many problems as i had with the book of Boba Fett, it still gave me Boba Fett riding a rancor, so I can only be so mad at it. <laughs> I keep, yeah, that was that, and I think we, if you go back into our archives and, and listen to our book of Boba Fett episode, I still stand by 
that's that has like major structural problems, but almost every individual thing in it rules. So I, you know, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. For every spin shooting uh, Vespa rider kid, I got yeah. fucking Cad Bane walking out of the desert like the Man oh. in Black. <laughs> No, it's just like, if you just show the individual section of that show, it's like, oh, this is some of the raddest Star Wars stuff you've ever seen. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, there's some stuff that doesn't work, but, like, why focus on that? Right. <laughs> and, like, Obi-Wan, like, yeah, might have some weird, like, plot wibbly-wobbliness, and, like, maybe the villains aren't as strong as I would like them to be, but it did have Darth Vader fucking snapping necks and dragging Obi-Wan Kenobi across a bed of fire. Damn, that was awesome. And, yeah, that final fight with them on the rocks is one of the coolest lightsaber duels in Star Wars. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Anyway. And that, I mean, but here, I think, I really think this is all pretty solid on this one. I think the writing is really good here. I think the directing is really good here. Uh, the cast in this show is amazing. Oh, yeah. And all the new characters, these villains are fascinating to me. The biggest tragedy of this show yeah has nothing to do with the writing or the plot. It is the fact that we yep. have been robbed of Ray Stevenson, right? I mean, just a, man, a super talented guy, but then particularly, God damn, what a character and a performance he has in this. He is such a fascinating Star Wars character. Balin Skull is one of the most interesting Star Wars villains to be introduced in the last 10 years. Absolutely. Like, I mean, incredibly interesting, because you're like... I, I, I heard somebody, I think it might have been the, the aforementioned Pillar of Garbage, talk about uh, he is the Qui-Gon of the Sith, basically. I mean, he's not even really a Sith. He's even no, more yeah. extreme than Qui-Gon. But, I mean, that's the thing about, like, he is the dark side rebel, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so interesting. And, look, we can get into Force philosophy all day, every day, and I'll be here for it. And we will. And we will. <laughs> but, like... The, the breakdown and the philosophical thinking behind, like, what makes a user of the Force bad or good and, like, mm -hmm. what the points of view are on those things is something I think this show is, like, fundamentally trying to address in some big ways. Whether that is, like, the whole thing between Ahsoka and Anakin and, like, their mm -hmm. relationship and her mental health being damaged by that relationship is such a big part of this show that I loved. Yes. Um, well, but I mean, yeah, all the Balin stuff of just like, he turned away from a dogmatic system that was the Jedi. And does that inherently make him evil? Obviously some of the decisions he makes to like, Oh, I don't know, support Thrawn and like help resurrect a group of zombie stormtroopers. Like that's not great, but, and all the, you know, all the murder. I mean, like he's literally <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of the first episode, just murdering people. Um, yes. But is that decision inherently evil? He, from that decision makes evil decisions. But, like, is that inherent idea? And it's getting at something I've been waiting for one of these Star Wars shows or movies to do, which is to explore this stuff. It's it's one of the... And I'm once again, I know I'm, I'm, on, I'm on shaky ground here when I bring up any of this, but it's one of the, my biggest disappointments about Rise of Skywalker is they ultimately land in the pro, you know, uh, 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 binary idea of the dark side and the light side, which I thought was sort of like a thing we were sort of fighting against in Star Wars for a while now. 
And it all just comes back to the simplest take on the Force. Um, whereas this show is really reckoning with like, well, what is a Force user to do? What is the responsibility, you know, in the Spider-Man sort of way of great power and great responsibility, right? What is your responsibility as a Force user? Yeah, and it's something that I thought we were coming to a head on, like you were saying, especially in The Last Jedi, right? Like, that felt like that was such an on-the-nose discussion about the nature of the Force and, like, who can use it and where it comes from. And then, like you said, with Rise of Skywalker, they swerved back into, well, the Emperor's yeah. back for some reason and we need to blow him up because he's evil and we're good and there is only one or the other. Right, and you're like, that's, I mean, that's boring to me because we've done that, you know, and... and uh, that's taking it to its simplest sort of fairy tale kind of stuff, which I think a lot of modern Star Wars has really complicated stuff about, you know, and I think the shows have had this room to breathe, which has been great to get more, you know, get into trickier debates about the Force and stuff like that. And of course, I mean, that's inherent to the character of Ahsoka, right? Who also left a dogmatic institution. Right, yeah. But I think what the, the, the needle this... Th show threads so finely for me is the fact that while it is addressing some of these gray areas, it is also pretty much sticking to this light side good, dark side bad, because it's less about the dark side being a, a path towards power and more that it, it is always going to corrupt eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you aren't necessarily related to a Palpatine, if you choose to embrace these darker methods, it'll lead to murder and destruction and standing on the statue of a force god staring off into the ineffable distance. Yeah, I am, man. That's a, that's a, that's a haunting ending. God damn it. I, <laughs> they need to finish that story, the Balin Skull story, because they left it off on such a cliffhanger, quite literally. Um, I think they will. I've seen a lot of the think pieces about like, uh, I think truly, you know, they have to recast this character. Yeah, like it's almost out of respect for what he did. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think it's disrespectful to. Uh, well, number one, I don't think recasting is always disrespectful anyway. I mean, that was the the whole debate about the uh, the Chadwick Boseman thing, and right. they ended up yeah. doing something incredible over there with that. But in this case, it does feel like. The most respectful thing is to finish this story that uh, Ray Stevenson did such amazing work to begin. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I'll just say, Russell Crowe is already calling about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but but I'm just saying, like that, it does feel like that is that would be his Star Wars character. See, my dream casting is Lee Schreiber. Oh, well, that would be something. Yeah, right. Like that's. Oh, that's Love that. I think that's a pretty good uh, parallel step there. Yeah, if we could get yeah, Lee yeah, Schreiber yeah. into Star Wars, I'd be pretty happy too. Oh my God. I mean, he's one of the best actors out there. Yeah. No Go question. get him, Ray we, Donovan. If Ray Donovan's coming in here, um, don't say Ray Donovan. You know I'll go off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> Ray Donovan. Oh God, Ray Donovan. That's always my impression of at the beginning of every episode of Ray Donovan is, I really screwed up, Ray Donovan. I need your help. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're not wrong. So, you no, know, it's true, yeah. Uh, no, it's... Uh, yes, I think through him we have this character who is... Though, uh, almost... Uh, when we're talking about what this show is doing and how it demonstrates it, the way he is introduced is in such a classic Star Wars villain 
mold. He's got a red lightsaber. He's cutting through New Republic soldiers. Orange lightsaber. Come on. Okay, I know, but I'm, but at least in the beginning, it is read as okay. He is. This is the bad guy. I mean, he He's comes in, down off the transport like the fucking Emperor in Return of the Jedi. Like that's he's his cutting move. through hallways of guys. I mean, he's cutting through hallways of guys very much like Vader in Rogue One. Um, and so you know, once again, you're going like, okay. I mean, when you know, you think you know what you're getting with this character when he first shows up. You're like, oh, okay. Here's like a Dark Lord of the Sith, basically. Um, and then the whole season just continues to complicate him and. As you get deeper into your true big bad of the this section of Star Wars, at least, right? And we all know we're building up to basically an heir to the Empire movie. Uh, it seems pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously there are different swerves on the canon at this point. What with the Witches of Dathomir and everything else going on with I love Ron their at this point. I love oh. their witch show. They're so Claudia Black showing up mm. as one of the the great mothers made my inner nerd just freak out because yeah. I was like, you put Farscape in my Star Wars. Thank you so much. <laughs> Two great tastes that taste great together. Um, <laughs> and when Ben Browder should know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's only a matter of time, right? That guy is in every sci-fi thing. So we get every uh, member of Farscape in here. What's Gigi Edgeley up to? Um, but, uh, oh, by the way, that new Farscape Blu-ray box set I need to pick up. The Shout uh, Factory just did a new restoration and special features. And it has B-Scores. I'll be curious to see what the restoration looks like. Because, like, I didn't think the CG really held up in that show to begin with. But I'll be mm. curious to see. Yeah, I, I yeah. The puppet work, I, I, obviously, is phenomenal, but. Of course. I mean, then that was the whole highlight of the show, right? Yeah. It was like Henson makes a space show. Um, but uh, no, that all that stuff is great. But the the way that continues uh, his journey in the show and as you sink deeper into, you know, tyrannical villainy is like, okay, yeah, this guy's on the dark side, but he's not wrong. You know, it's sort of... I like separating the force users from the empire where it's like, well, the, the light side characters go with the rebels and the dark side characters go with the empire. And that's just how it goes. Yeah. Here's a guy who's like after something higher than this whole skirmish to him. Yeah, no, he, he has got some kind of loftier goal that isn't clear yet. Uh, and his whole relationship with uh, his apprentice uh, Shin Jin. is, yeah, so interesting in that she seems to be drawn into the, well, I'm a dark side user, so I'm going to hang out with the Empire. And she yeah. can't quite grasp this, like, higher mission that Balin is well, she's on. Well, the, she's the younger, like, it, you know, she's she's a lot of the dark side Star Wars fans, I feel like, right? Where it's like, mm. it's metal to be a, a bad guy in Star Wars. And uh, and 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 Balin is is like, uh, well, I have like a reason for what I'm doing. She's just like, no, but like the darkness is cool, man. He's like, huh? Yeah, this is actually like a religious belief for me, you know. Sort of like, I, so I, I think that their whole thing, uh, you know, is is great, and also the way that mirrors the Sabine Ahsoka relationship too. Yeah. Let's dive into those, because, like, this show is called Ahsoka, but this mm -hmm. show is absolutely uh, an Ahsoka Sabine two-hander. Like, of course, it could just as easily have been called Sabine, and I don't think any of the screen time would have changed. 
And I've seen some people go like, it's not even about Ahsoka. All right. That's my, that's one of my last comments I, about that. But I know, but it, it is. And I understand that complaint because you could also just as easily have called this Rebel Season 5 or Clone Wars Season 8 or any yeah. number of other things. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, I think uh, we talked about the 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 Mandalorian 2.5 that's in the middle of Book of Boba Fett. I think a lot of these things, the the like Filoni Favreau stuff, are kind of all intertwined and tied together. Yeah. I mean, that Ahsoka episode of Mandalorian was kind of an Ahsoka backdoor pilot. You know, they're doing a lot with all of these to to tie them together. You know, I think Obi-Wan and Andor are more like those are their shows over there. But this stuff that's all building to whatever this movie is going to be that Filoni's directing uh, definitely feels like there's a lot of uh, pieces being moved around in each of the shows. And it's maybe not as simple as a singing. I mean, I know there were some complaints about Mandalorian Season 3 or stuff from people going, oh, it's more about... Bo-Katan than it is about Mando. Well, and it's like, still the Mandalorian. So get it out right. of your, get that stick out of your ass. <laughs> I just think but it's the sort of thing where it's like, well, these are all characters I like. So if I tune into Ahsoka and it's on an episode entirely about Sabine, well, I really like Sabine. So I not what am I going to complain about? And you talk about the casting here, Natasha yeah. Lou Bordizo. Yeah, is. Uh, the people who have just like stepped out of the animated series in this show and just embodied those characters in such a way, she yeah. does such an amazing job of just becoming Sabine Wren right out of Rebels. Totally. I mean, almost from her first moment on screen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I so I mean, obviously, so much is helped here by this is all written by Dave Filoni, who's been uh, the steward of these characters since day one. Yeah. Yeah, but of the fact that he, you know, you don't, you don't, in television in general, you don't get to see a lot of uh, one person wrote all the episodes. That just, it just doesn't happen generally. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, and he directed two of them as well. But, you know, it's just really, so I think, you know, having, yeah, having the actual creator of these characters be there and be the chief creative force behind this meant he was going to impart that. And so he was, he was not going to choose the wrong people. You know what I mean? I think it's sort right. of that. Um, this isn't a, this isn't a, a case of where it's like, uh, yeah, 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 whatever, Mr. Cartoon Boy, we're going to take it from here. Right. Yeah. And like so much in Hollywood. Yeah. And there's, I can't point to a lot of distinct examples of things like that because I can think of so few distinct examples of direct continuations from animated to live action. You've seen adaptations for sure. That's very common. Yeah. I mean, and that common. would be closer to like, well, we'll just do Clone Wars as a movie then or something. Right. And, you know, um, uh, yeah, I will say that when you did see the brief bit that you get of live action Clone Wars in this, it was very exciting. Sure. Uh, but then when you like actually stop and analyze it and realize that like, okay, we didn't actually see much of anything. Mm -hmm. It's all just like fog, misshrouded, foggy, like force visions of Which what very cool. Yeah. Gave it that dreamlike and the way it's, I mean, that whole episode is, is we'll, we'll get to in a second, which is amazing. But yeah, obviously we've already had context for Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka uh, a couple times. So I think we're pretty used to that, but yeah, coming in these other characters. Now I saw her, um, this actress that plays Sabine in, uh, night or uh, was it Day Watch? Mm, Day Watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, 
Big Ship, the vampire yeah. movie, which I thought was great. And she had already been cast in this role, and I saw her in that and thought, wow, she she could be really good in this because she's very cool in that movie. Uh, which uh, she was really also previously cool. in The Greatest Showman, which has its fans, I know. Oh, there, there's a whole huge fan base for that. <clears throat> she's in the she's in the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon sequel, prequel that nobody ever talks about. Oh, sort of Destiny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No one talks about this because it's yeah. I can't believe they made a Crouching Tiger. I believe it is a. Prequel. It's a sequel. Is it a direct sequel? I think it's a sequel. Yeah. That's insane. Still more than the, I can't yeah. believe they got. <laughs> yeah, because Michelle, Michelle Yeoh and Donnie Yen back for that. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. I never saw it. <laughs> it was not. It, it I don't remember it making much impression on anyone, which is so weird. Um, but anyway, yeah, she's great in this. And um, oh wow, Wu Ping Yuan actually directed it. Oh wow, because he was like the stunt coordinator on the original Crouching yeah. Tiger, who was like basically the second director of that film yeah 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 and, and of course i mean it's also just i mean he did the choreography for uh kill bill and the matrix he is sort of the master yun with ping uh, kung fu hustle he also did yeah. um uh maybe the greatest martial arts choreographer in film history uh one could argue know. yes yeah i mean it, it you know the king man um so no yeah and, and yet and it came out on netflix and nobody seemed to notice or care that was back in 2016. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, um, she's great in this, though. <laughs> yeah, no, she is fantastic in Ahsoka. And um, like we're talking about, it has to carry so much of the show. Yeah. Um, you know, because she's off on her own journey that's also connected, of course, to Ahsoka's journey. But she has her own arc to play out here. It's not, I mean, while it's a, while it's a two-hander, they actually are apart for a lot of it, too. Yeah, because this show is so much about teacher-student relationships. That's, like, basically the, I would say, the the biggest theme the show has, like, playing on it is this idea that what we're imparted by our teachers makes us who we are or doesn't, depending on the relationship and how we choose to live our lives and, like, what we choose to embrace about our pasts and what people were trying to instill in us in our pasts uh, Mm -hmm. is like the biggest theme this show has going for it. Oh, definitely. I mean, and I think that, that, (laughs) yeah, that comes through almost every character in the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, uh, Cause I mean, I think it's, 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 I mean, including having a literal teacher, basically teacher droid character at the center (laughs) of the thing. Uh, Huyang is now one of my favorite droids in Star Wars. That's yeah, because he's voiced by the Doctor. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> and I mean, even he, yeah, he's voiced by David Tennant, and it's such a David Tennant character. Even the physicalization of the robot feels very David Tennanty. You know, I mean, like there's because he's the yeah, you know, was he? He's a professor bot or whatever, right? Like well, he's another of... character who was who was originated in Clone Wars. Yeah, um, he was uh, originally from a pretty Ahsoka centric arc where Ahsoka is taking a bunch of younglings to build their lightsabers for the first time, right. and we're introduced to this droid who has been with the Jedi Order for thousands of years, yeah. and has helped millennia worth of Jedi build their lightsabers, right. And, and we as, do get to see him do some of that here, which is nice. Yeah. 
And something we know about droids in Star Wars is the longer they keep going on, the longer they go without having their memory wiped, the more, like, personality they develop. Right. And so you have this thousand-year-old droid who is this quirky English actor in David Tennant. And, yeah, they do an amazing job of translating his mannerisms into this droid. I also just think Hu Yang is one of the best examples of blending digital and mechanical special effects. It is really, really difficult sometimes to tell when he's a puppet and when he's CG. Absolutely. No, it's great. And it, I mean, that's the thing. I think the, the, the sort of Favreau Filoni era of these Disney plus star Wars shows have done a great job of blending the two. I mean, Grogu is that as well, where they're like, sometimes a puppet, sometimes a CG. And I think that's that, that to me is the best mentality in this, in this world of modern special effects, where there's so much debate about CGI versus practical. And the answer is you just got to do what's right for the moment, man. And, and, and becoming dogmatic about any of those approaches is, uh, you know, detrimental to the creative process. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I think I love the way that they have approached this where there's like practical up to a point and then we go to CGI for when we need it to be. Um, yeah, I think that's the best mentality in filmmaking. I think Hu Yang's a great example of that in this show. I think the little crab hobbits are a great example of that in this show. I don't yeah. know their species name yet because they're so new. Wow. Yeah, it's a rarity, though, that you don't have that off the top of your head. But yes, um, the, 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 I mean, they serve a, and I know this is going to like ruffle feathers, but whatever. They serve an Ewokian presence in the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they are less uh, toppling of empires than the, the yeah. Ewoks are, but they're there to be like, well, they're just cute little guys that are helping out at the end. Stru- yeah, that's why, that's why I'm saying like structurally from sure. like a writing yeah. standpoint, they okay. serve a similar Ewok purpose. I, I do uh, love that like one of the first articles I click on trying to figure out what they are, uh, the... the Sub headline is move over Babu Frick because Babu Frick served a very similar purpose in yeah, yeah, Rise yeah, of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's the cute Babu little guy. Frick, one of the few things I, I can uh, positively say about Rise of Skywalker and um, used uh, better in um, uh, Mandalorian. I mean, I wasn't actually Babu Frick, but that, that alien race. That species, yeah. Yeah, the Babuleans? Is that not? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, I think, I think, uh, Hu Yang, like I said, having a literal teacher character in the show who is kind of there to be the, like, uh, a lot of his commentary is like, mm, you're doing, uh, you could do better with the teaching. Uh, I don't know about this, you know, um, is, is, is this sort of whether she wants it or not mentor figure to Ahsoka to Ahsoka. I think, I think, uh, Hu Yang would like to be. Ahsoka's mentor figure in this, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, um, because I mean, we one of the this is another complaint I've heard from people who even have seen Rebels uh, about like, well, wait a minute, when did Sabine become her apprentice? We didn't see any of that. They literally address it in the show. Yeah, and also I think it's something that it's something that I wanted to say this earlier when we were talking about people talking about being confused or left behind. It's like something Star Wars has always done is kind of just drop you into things and then fill in. Like, even if you have the opening crawl exists for. 
That's what I mean. Yeah, that's sort of the thing. So it's even the people who go like, I haven't seen Rebels. I'm going like, it'll be fine. I think you'll get at least the base sense of these relationships and and the stakes of what's going on. You can go to Rebels and get the specific details if you want. But like we're saying, time has passed even from the end of Rebels. And there's new context for those of us who have seen it to fill in. When we and I like that. I like Skywalker at the end of Empire Strikes Back, he has had his hand chopped off and he's sitting on the bridge of that medical frigate as Lando and Chewie are flying off in the distance. When we meet back up with him one movie later, he is dressed mm-hmm. in all black, strolling through Jabba's palace like a fucking badass. And oh, it turns out stuff happens in between scenes. And it's something I think there's less patience for because of these interconnected storylines and uh, adherence to continuity now that I feel like people demand answers of stuff in a way that they didn't used to. And it's kind of something that irks me about some modern audiences where it's like, I don't understand. And I'm look, guys, 100%. There will be some comic that goes into what happened with Ahsoka and Sabine. That's what that stuff has always been for. But we eventually do get it addressed in this show, which is what drove me crazy about people complaining about it week to week. And it's yeah. one of the arguments against the week to week release schedule that Disney's been doing on their yeah. shows, as opposed to Netflix just drop it all at once. Yeah. Um, is that there were months of people going, what do you mean Sabine is Ahsoka's apprentice? How would how and when did this happen? And by episode, what, seven or eight of the show, we get the explanation that like, okay, after Rebels, Sabine Mm -hmm. took Ahsoka or or Ahsoka took Sabine under her wing. But then the whole like uh, purge of Mandalore happened, which we saw like shown in, I think it was Book of Boba Fett. Um, And that sort of like made Sabine go a little, I'm not going to say crazy, but she definitely like tilted hard into the, I need to avenge my people mode, which is not exactly the balanced approach a Jedi needs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally changed the title of a movie because the Jedi doesn't seek revenge. So, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's that, that's that thing that like, oops, sorry, hold on. Sorry about that. Um, uh, IMDB just started playing a video. Um, but, uh, <laughs> The no, I think that the, it's it's an interesting thing about when you talk about the week to week thing is like it's 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 a big reason why we don't do episodic reviews of stuff and why I kind of hate episodic reviews because it is you're 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 not seeing the forest through the trees at that point right like it's sort of going like I don't understand I'm confused and it's like well maybe in a few episodes you might understand it because they're purposely telling you a story that is building on things. I hate uh, it's just, it's something that really irks me about the AV Club going like this episode felt like filler and unimportant. It's like, well, yeah, but that's only because you haven't seen episode six yet, where that stuff will make sense because it is building to this. You know, it's, it it would be. I always talk about it, like it's like you don't review a novel uh, B minus to chapter three, A minus <laughs> to chapter four. You know, like you just don't. It's it, you can, it, but it it doesn't. Yeah. Like you say, it doesn't. Uh, Keep modern, the context in mind. A lo- most modern like streaming content isn't meant to be taken individually like old TV used to be, where you would go like, "Oh, that was a good one." <laughs> yeah. You know? 
uh the the idea of yeah you don't I, what the, you don't really have a thing now where it's like modern tv go like that's my favorite episode i mean you can but it's a lot harder to divvy out stuff like that you can have favorite individual episodes but when you're discussing a streaming project being released week to week you are doing so in the brief sliver of time in which that is even possible because for every other person who watches this show in perpetuity it will be with complete access to every episode as soon as right. they start watching the show i remember us talking about that when we did when back years back when we re reviewed infinity war mm -hmm. and we were having discussions about it and i remember thinking this and I, I think i said this on the show where i'm like literally right now is the last time we can talk about this in this kind of context right where we don't know the second half of the story mm -hmm. we will never again have a conversation that isn't the two of these things together yeah no and I, that absolutely. is crazy to think about uh, you know where it is like uh any anything that's a multi-part thing when you start talking about it. so that's why i'm always it's so hesitant to talk about these shows in any kind of broad strokes before they come to a conclusion of some sort. And even this, okay, well, I don't want to get to the end of this thing, but I know one of the big complaints is this doesn't have an ending, according to people. It has a conclusion. It yeah. doesn't have a, and they all lived happily ever after. No. Right. Right. <laughs> And it was never going to. We, I mean, I went into this knowing that, of course, this story will continue on in 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 some capacity. So I, I guess maybe maybe it's it, it's it's not. I I wasn't surprised that it ended on a but the adventure continues kind of vein. It has just as much of an ending as any season of the Clone Wars or Rebels or mm. Name Your Adventure TV show. Or honestly, uh, most Star Wars movies. <laughs> It has the same kind of ending as any season of Buffy. It has the same kind of ending of uh, Firefly, the show that famously only got one season. <laughs> Did they only do one? No. <laughs> Felt like so much more. Nobody it, ever talked about that. Even the movie George. that gave us a conclusion to that show, Serenity, does end on a, and then they go have more adventures note. Of course. And that's why there's all the comic books. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, are, which are yeah. Some of which are yeah, good. Some, some of which are good. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think that's 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 a that's an interesting point about this whole thing too. Well, I think the the thing that's a little bit different about Ahsoka is all these things are are, are building up together. So it's not necessarily like come back next season on Ahsoka. <laughs> Friend of the show, Jerry Chrisman, texted me. He goes, "But we don't know if they've renewed Ahsoka." It's like, oh, I don't think that's the kind... I don't think we're thinking in that way now. It, it doesn't really matter. We could this have... This story will continue in something. Yeah. The next season of Ahsoka could be called Sabine. <laughs> could be called Sabine. We could check in on this in Mandalorian Season 4, you know? Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, they've made it pretty clear that, like... And, of course, all of this, as we know, building to a big movie that will have all these characters. Yeah. There's going to be some Heir to the Empire that, movie that... And whether that movie, whether that movie happens after Mandalorian season four or another season of Ahsoka or God knows another Boba Fett, who knows? I mean, who knows? Well, and something we'll also have to keep in mind for that movie is that if it is like a theatrical released movie, there's going there's to be considerations people of people who have never seen any of the shows. Yeah, and then we'll have to hear about that. Sure, but. <laughs> I do want to wrap this background because you talk about like context of yeah. the entire series. I think that brings yeah. us to the like central 
issue I heard about this show and one of the things at the center of the show, which is the titular character of Ahsoka, played by Rosario Dawson. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about her previously in our discussions about The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, but I really do want to dig into Rosario Dawson as an actor and Ahsoka Tano as a character and why those two gel in this interesting way that they've made in no. the show. Because honestly, when this was first pitched to me of like her as Ahsoka, I was a little mm-hmm. tepid on it. And I was honestly still a little tepid on it until I watched this show. Oh, interesting. I was pretty, once I saw her in Mandalorian, I was pretty on board with, I mean, I'm a big fan of hers anyway. Uh, you know, and I think that's, she's one of the only examples I can think of where like, a really well-established star is coming into a character like this, you know, because it's sort of like, you know, Mary Liz Winstead, I guess, is a, but even still is, you know, like a well-respected actress. Isn't like, it doesn't carry the, the, maybe the marquee name of, she's big, (laughs) she's in a lot of stuff we like. Yeah. And look, (laughs) I I will get to my takes on Hera uh, in this show. I honestly think Mary Elizabeth Winstead might have been miscast a little bit here. Oh, wow. um, I don't. That's just my personal true. take. I think for me, she's the weakest part of the show, and that's like still like I still like it. It's just that like it's not what I was looking for out of my Hera, I guess. <laughs> well, Hera. I mean, I think one of the things uh, you know you talk about this being a, a Sabine and Ahsoka show. I do think Hera is firmly like a supporting and, yeah, and more side totally. character in it. Yeah. Um, just by the design of the story. Uh, but I think uh, certainly is you cast on Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh God. And I, well, all right, never mind. I don't, she's married to Ewan McGregor. And I did I see know. some assholes going, Oh, I see how she gets like, no, she's an incredibly well-established actress on her own. I've character. loved her in other stuff and she's yeah. a really good actor. And like, yeah. I don't think she's bad in this show by any stretch. It's just, no, like, no. I was looking for a little bit more mom energy that I maybe got from her on this show. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's there in pieces. Like I said, I yeah. think, I think in my opinion, I think that's more to do with, we just don't get a whole lot of time with her. That's true. Um, uh, but, uh, but so no, um, but I was going to say like, you bring Rosario Dawson into it, you know, and I know there was a large contingent that really wanted Ashley Eckstein to play the part in live action. Like Katie Sackhoff got to do with Bo-Katan. Uh, and that, that could have been interesting. Certainly. I mean, Ashley Eckstein is a, a good actress, and of course, people always bring up the cosplay photos of her as Ahsoka. Sure, sure, she could have, she could have done it. Uh, I, I don't think that was ever probably going to happen. Um, I, I don't know, like especially after we crossed the Rubicon of Katie Sackhoff playing the character she voiced, it was like I guess anything's possible at this point. I mean, anything's possible. I think you know. I mean, obviously, I think Katie Sackhoff had work in her favor. She's already an established live action actress with a, you know, a fair amount of clout who, especially in this genre has uh, a lot of popularity. Um, Like I said, I, and I, and the other thing I, I, I don't, I don't know that Ashley Eckstein like really wanted it and didn't get it. I don't know. Uh, So, but but whatever they ended up going to Zara Dawson who, yeah, I think does an incredible job with this having, but like, it's incredibly difficult to step into this part because there is so much context for this character, but also kind of not like in a weird because this is a different Ahsoka. This is an Ahsoka much later, of course, than we've seen her in her journey. And she is she's a character who changed a lot anyway across Clone Wars and Rebels, and now is even more changed. So man. This is like, why I was slightly, like I said, tepid 
mm-hmm. coming into this show on this performance because up until now, every time we've seen Ahsoka in live action, it has just been as either like badass set piece warrior in the Mandalorian or mm-hmm. glorified cameo appearance appearance in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, as just like, oh, background character who's like basically Jedi adjacent. Obviously, you have the context if you've watched Clone Wars or Rebels about this character. But if you're just watching those live action shows, she is just like, okay, probably was once a Jedi. Says she's not, but okay, sure. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Sure, um, yeah, exactly. And and I think uh, it was always sort of like, oh, well, I guess we'll find out more about her when she has a show. Yeah. Right. And so Rosario Dawson wasn't really allowed to have much... Uh, I hate to say this, actory moments um, where she is getting to like play the character, right? And it's certainly no like extended moments of stuff. You know, it's just yeah. these little touches of the character. So, so all all I was really seeing in those moments was, oh, Rosario Dawson is a good actor. I know this. You yep. know this. Right. She can deliver lines good, and <laughs> in this context, she just has a bunch of makeup and prosthetics on. Yeah, I I was never given an opportunity to see her playing Ahsoka for a long yeah. period of time, a character who I am deeply invested in. Yeah, um, and you so know. yeah, me no, uh, a, a character who is like one of the most wild success stories in all of Star Wars, from a character who started off as just like ew, gross, I hate this like weird kid character they've inserted into my Star Wars show. I don't think anyone liked her. when I remember seeing that that Clone Wars movie, I think with you, uh, we went went and saw it, and it was like, oh, God. I mean, that number one, the reaction to that movie was pretty negative, and in particular, I was like, what the fuck? Who is this character? Horrible. Go back and watch that original Clone Wars movie, which is just like three episodes stitched together to make a like vaguely runtime adjacent. If viewed, if viewed in that context, not terrible, but when it was released in theaters and it was meant to be like, Hey, you were kind of disappointed by the prequels. Well, check this out. This is more what you want. Right. And it was like, no. And I didn't watch the show for a while. I think like a lot of people, we're kind of early on. It took a while to to start hearing Clone Wars was was good and worth your time. Even and same by with Rebels, com- even by comparison to the show, though, like the the movie they released looks bad. Like the yeah. animation is rushed and the yep. uh, the the acting is stilted because they were just trying to get something out. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was a mistake to try to turn that try, trying to make that into. If that had just appeared on Cartoon Network. And just sort of had time to build itself. It would have really, but it was really presented as like the next Star Wars chapter, right? And you're like, that was way too much pressure to put on something that they were trying to figure out. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, Ahsoka going from this annoying kid character who turned people off of the show, yeah. like actively made people not want to watch it, uh, totally, to becoming probably the most fan favorite character in most of star Wars outside of like the main movie characters. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, she's, she's a hugely beloved part of the franchise now. Yeah. And so seeing her character arc over the course of all of those seasons of television is a very rare thing for 
fans of genre fiction. I think I guess the only thing I can think of that's comparable is seeing like Jean-Luc Picard's character arc over the course of the entire Next Generation and all the movies and Picard. Yeah. Like it just doesn't happen. No, I mean in, in general, we're it, you know we're we're it, it's still fairly new in like franchise stuff for someone to have these massive character. Ch- you know, generally you're talking about incremental changes in sort of a you know an established character who has their their thing. And of course, you know, look, I know we're gonna get a flood of comments about like what about this and that. I'm sure there are examples, but I'm just talking about in general as like the norm in storytelling that is a fairly recent thing sure but the fact that we've seen kind of the entire biography of ahsoka tano's life at this point like between the very young uh version we saw in tales of the jedi to all across the clone wars to like the the middle period during the rebellion and there's lots of gaps in there too to finally this like Ahsoka the white we get at the end of this show yeah it was incredibly refreshing to see Rosario Dawson playing a character who is clearly damaged and trying to address and embrace the tragedies and victories of her life to make a new version of herself by the end of the show. Because one of the large complaints I saw early on is that like, oh, she's so bored. She's so stiff. She's so yep. like stoic. And I was just about to say that, yeah. The whole time I was watching this show, I, I when I saw those comments, I kept thinking, did y'all not see the Ahsoka that we got in Rebels? Because yeah. that's her. Like she is buttoned up and trying to like really struggle with the fact that she feels like she's damaged by what happened to the Jedi. And that's a reflection on her. And that's why she doesn't even identify as a Jedi anymore. And that's the other thing you got to keep in mind too. And this is something I remember saying about last Jedi, which actually did have this comment. They go like, why isn't he acting like Luke Skywalker? It's like, well, it's been 40 years. Yeah. Who's the same person 40, let alone what happened. Take it. But I also, it's something, I think it's even more so the case in Ahsoka because more time has passed in story than has passed in reality with Ahsoka, yeah. right? I mean, like, like we are finding Ahsoka, what, 25, 30 years from where we met her? I think That's, it's like 28 years, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be because you've got the 20-year jump between episode three and, and New Hope, and now we're post-Return of the Jedi, yeah. And we were already a couple years before Revenge of the Sith. And yes, 28 sounds about right. Um, and so, my God, she's been through, not only has she been through some of the most extreme turmoil a, a, a person can be can go through, um, if you watched all the Clone Wars, and then into Rebels. And then now it's been decades of war and tyranny and conflict. Yeah, she's a radically different person than the. I think one of the things that was so uh, that I saw a lot of people uh, be uh, really struck by is how young she is. Because when she was a cartoon, it was like we knew she was like a kid. But when you see an actual like twelve year old playing yeah. her, you're just like, oh my god, that's right. She was a kid in the beginning, like an actual child in the beginning of Clone Wars. That's, that's why that episode was so important. 
I feel Ep- like. Episode 5 was so striking for a lot of reasons. Obviously, like, Hayden Christensen back as Anakin and just yeah. fucking knocking that out of the park as far as I'm concerned. We're, we are living in a golden age of Hayden Christensen cameo appearances. Um, Dude, it's like, wait a minute. If he could do that, why wasn't he doing that the whole time? And, and I know the answer to that is George Lucas. But um, oh, And the answer to that was also he was a 20-year-old snatched out of obscurity to be in the biggest film ever. Yeah, and given material that was, you know, I mean, that's the same thing. It's like, oh, look, if, uh, you know, if you give him good scripts, direct him correctly, and let he can be really good. He, this is the best I've ever seen him be in anything. Is in that episode, he yeah. was fantastic. And I honestly think a lot of that is because he's channeling some of Matt Lanter's performance in the Clone yeah. Wars cartoon, and that, that that really struck me. That really did feel like that was the case. So it was like he really does feel like the live action version of the animated Anakin who you really, I mean, it's, it's a TV show. Some of it because of the TV show, some of it's because I do think in general, Filoni and the writing staff and clone wars are just better character writers than George Lucas. Well, and I mean, of course also had time yeah. to examine the mistakes made with Anakin, mm-hmm. but that Anakin, you know, I, I have a much better, I came to have a much better sense of that character through the animated shows, of course. Yeah, and I think that it's such a good synthesis presented here with Hayden Christensen yeah. in this in these couple of episodes we get him in. And the fact that, like you said, we are struck by this image of just how young Ahsoka was when she was thrown into all of this. And, um, oh, what's her name? Um, the young actress who plays young Ahsoka in those episodes. Well, um, she was just uh, in Barbie. Yeah, it's Ariana Greenblatt is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and she was also um, a young Gamora in Infinity War. Oh, yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. That's, she, this is kind of just what she does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was given this like kind of titanic task in, this, in that episode of yeah. both replicating Rosario Dawson's performance, Ashley Eckstein's performance, and yeah. presenting a real person um, yep. that the audience has to immediately recognize beyond just the prosthetics as the same character who is going through the emotional turmoil of basically reliving an entire war that she was thrust into as a child soldier. <laughs> and the, 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 the presentation of that episode, this dreamlike memory that's jumping through time like a dream does that doesn't follow a linear path uh, makes you feel in this short time just how grueling and violent and devastating that war was. Yeah. I mean, that moment when she's grieving for the dead clone troopers and is basically told, like, there's no time for that. You can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Is it's so such- affecting. But it's the thing that's so good about that is just like you're talking about, where you don't you don't actually see as much as you think. That episode isn't super long, but it, it's an example of really efficient, great writing that makes its points very clearly, but doesn't punch you in the face with them. And it's just really well calculated. And that was the one. That was the episode. Um, you know, because Filoni has been dipping his toe in directing live action, but that episode in particular made me really uh, trust in his ability to make this movie that he's doing. It's like, this is, I haven't seen, like I said, as much as I, I, I think he's done 
an excellent job of directing all the stuff he's directed. But that was the first time it's like, this is really a character-specific episode, and he is getting really affecting performances out of these people. It's really affecting performances, but also just the visual storytelling yeah. and the the efficiency of what, I mean, it, the old phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Yeah. And each frame is a picture. So yeah. to, to quote another thing that is quoted often, um, mm-hmm. being able to tell this emotionally driving story with these characters that he's had a hand on since day one. Mm-hmm in something that he's clearly so passionate about, but also presenting it in such a way that is like visually makes sense. Right. When you're dealing with such abstract concepts of the like world between worlds and forced ghosts and like stuff that can just, is just magical gobbledygook when written down on a page. Right. It's yeah. But presenting it in this like Jacob's ladder esque, like visually enthralling way. Uh, that, yeah, puts a lot of trust. I mean, there is a cult of personality around Filoni at this point of just like, ah, the heir apparent to Lucas um, that some fans get a little too hyperbolic about, but... uh, They definitely do. And I think it's also unfair to the man as an individual filmmaker, right? Like, I think there are... I I get why people have that, and I get where... uh, And the, the, the company itself has done that. I mean, so many of the behind the scenes stuff even on this i watched the little featurette thing they did on disney plus that's all about how like the master and apprentice picked, yeah yeah hand picked by george lucas himself yeah you know and you just go like but once again it's like and and that was for a long time i was always just kind of like oh for the love of god feloni they just want you know like it was very easy for me to just be like oh god what is this guy just george junior um you know cuz that was how he was present not how he presented himself because um, one of the things I, I think I, I really like about Filoni is I never get any ego off of that guy in any kind of... He's always just like, I don't know, man. We just did a thing and it was fun. Like, he's so unassuming. Um, but I think particularly with this show, you know, he's now out of Lucas's shadow and he's out of Favreau's shadow. Because I do think yeah. The Mandalorian yeah. is really like Favreau's baby we know that like that character that world is <laughs> people always talk about that those were the stories young john favreau was playing with star wars action figures as a kid this really feels like uh it's 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 like the 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 apprentice has become the master at this point where he's like now he's up and running and this is like i said this that's why this show made me go i 100 percent see who this guy as a filmmaker is. We know he's a good writer. We know he's a great storyteller. He can come up with interesting visuals, but like here is how all of those skills come together to make a product. And the fact that he wrote all of the, he's the only writer. He directed a couple of them. And particularly that episode five, I just think is exceptionally well-made. Yeah. And obviously he's show running all of this. He's got his hand on basically every single episode, even just beyond the writing. But to bring it back to Rosario Dawson, because I think it goes hand in hand with Filoni's caretaking of this character and Rosario Dawson's uh, acting chops where this character is concerned. And it all pivots on episode five, right? Is that it's a transformational, uh, it's a transition for this character from this buttoned up kind of uh, damaged person who really doesn't want her to let her past affect her in any way. And so she dampens Mm -hmm. everything. And to get that moment where 
in a little bit of nightmare fuel when we see Ahsoka without any sort of headband and just see her like weird forehead where the the contoured yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, prosthetics kind of meet. It's just like, oh, yeah. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to think about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. to see her face like light up and to see the weight kind of drop off her shoulder is a really effective performance from Dawson um, of seeing this person who's been wrestling with her past sort of begin to accept some of that and move beyond some of the trauma or even the like perceived trauma because the whole... Oh, it's such a beautiful like conceit with this character of like once she discovers that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader in Rebels, she then right. has this whole process of emotions of just like, is everything he taught me tainted because right. of what he became? Yeah, I love the uh, the moment in Rebels where uh, Ezra finds the training videos of mm-hmm. Anakin Skywalker. He's like, this guy rules. And you just, you know, it's like, man, this guy's awesome. Do you know this guy and stuff like that? And just, yeah, so it could be in like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, is 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 the myth of Anakin a, a complete lie? You know? Yeah. Is it, has he completely tainted everything? And that's what I love about the Anakin in this, you know, what you know, is he a force ghost? Is he a memory? Is he he's all these things? But he's, number one, I love, I mean, and what a gift to Hayden Christensen. He gets to play every Anakin in it. Yeah, yeah. It's but so good. <laughs> through that, through scene, I mean, you know, one of the best shots in anything ever is him walking into the battlefield in a lightning strike and he becomes Vader for like a split second. Or when and he's then coming occur- back into the world between worlds and he's like shrugging his shoulders and like you just hear the breathing for a moment and his yep. lightsaber changing colors and it's just like, oh, yep. chills. And then we get to see the the really like dark side inhabited, fucked up eyes from Revenge of the Sith and stuff like that. I'm like, that's that's awesome, man. Um, but you through that, it's once again, it's all there. This is still Ahsoka, right? So all of that Anakin stuff is her processing all her conflicting feelings about Anakin and seeing every Anakin and confronting every kind of Anakin to except that they're all the same guy right like the the that all of the all the good of him is still there it hasn't been erased those memories of him haven't been completely destroyed by vader right yeah and, and so you see her go see him go from heroic anakin to vader and then back again mm-hmm. so good well, by the end he's like this accepted synthesis right it's like you yeah. got to take the good with the bad but don't let the bad overtake the good right and you get and that it, moment where Ahsoka's eyes go red for a second as she's mm-hmm. like got the lightsaber duel, but then she like reels it back and oh, you can just see her processing all the emotions. And this is the sign of a good actor, right? Someone who's yeah. not delivering a big monologue, but you can still see their thought process it's, as their uh, contemplating emotion. Anyone who listens to any of my podcasts knows I'm always yelling about this, but that to me is what great acting is. And I think too often shouty acting is rewarded as like or shouty crying and of course those are difficult things to play as well but oftentimes people go like look at that guy he's yelling and crying that's good acting you're like well this to me is the real magic of film acting in particular is being able to play all that stuff without saying anything and yeah and also let's add to the fact doing that through prosthetics even more so is incredible because that's that's both a help and a hindrance i I can't imagine coming in every day and putting on 
all that Ahsoka stuff. Jesus, um, that's a lot. It's, it's dedication is what it speaks to, and well, and that's so they everybody talks about in those featurettes and stuff. Her immense dedication to this role, uh, not just from the acting, but from the physicality, working extensively to do the lightsaber stuff. Um, she really, really cares about this character. Do yourself a favor. Pick up two brooms. Pick up two plungers yeah. <laughs> and try to swing them around at the same time without yeah. making an absolute fool of yourself. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. The it's, fact it, that it, she worked to dual wield lightsabers speaks yeah. to an immense amount of dedication. It's insane, and she, yeah, I mean, it, and and she's doing it once again in that costume, in that makeup that she's already spent, you know, whatever three four hours getting that all applied. Um, I. I, I have so much. It's it's why it's another thing where I just I I want more, you know, industry respect for the actors and genre stuff. I always talked about like the Star Trek people. Like, man, where was the awards recognition for guys like Michael Dorn or Armin Shimmerman? <laughs> you know, who would come? I mean, they, they, I remember they they did a thing you you can watch on YouTube years and years ago where I think it was. I mean, this is how far back it goes. I think it was like Entertainment Tonight did. They just followed Armin Shimmerman around for a day. Uh, D- the, his day on D Space Nine, and he's showing up at like three in the morning because he's got to get all that quark makeup. He's there two plus hours before the rest of the cast. I think anyone who ever played a Ferengi who has yeah. a significant character arc, so basically like him and the guy who played Nog, I think. Yeah, um, and Ron, his brother as well. Yeah, yeah, who like had to make scenes emotive. Through yep. all of that crap on their forehead and nose and the teeth. God, the teeth. I don't know even how you begin to approximate a vocal performance with those teeth. <laughs> There's no a reason. Idea. If you watch Next Generation, Armin Shimmerman plays maybe four to five Ferengi before he ever plays Quark on D Space Nine. <laughs> and I think they just kept casting Armin Shimmerman. Like, because I think he was one of the only guys who could figure out how to act in that makeup. So they just kept bringing him back until eventually they made him a main character. Because he was one of the only people to be like, oh, I think I kind of get how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, I, I, like I said, I am always amazed at the people who can do that stuff. I mean, the work, the, the fact that someday Doug Jones needs one of those Lifetime Achievement Oscars, right? Like just for, yeah, because I, I, you know, I, I have my issues with Star Trek Discovery, but his performance on that show, the physicality he goes into to play a character who looks and moves nothing like a human. And he's he's literally up on like stilts that bend his legs back in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So he's physically uncomfortable walking in a totally unnatural way all to be part of this performance. Uh, I am amazed by by these people. Let's talk about makeup and let's talk about one of my favorite performances in this. And that's Lars Mikkelsen when we finally get to Grand Admiral Thrawn. Oh, just enough Mickelson, just a dash of Mickelson at the oh, end of God. this show. Yeah. And maybe the coolest introduction of any Star Wars villain when you have all the troopers just going Thrawn, 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 Thrawn. This show is too cool in the backstretch, for my opinion. It's just like, no, 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 you've done too much show. I can't, I can't. You did Space Whales, and we got Vader, and now we've got Thrawn and his zombie army and witches, and like, oh. The zombie (laughs) army, and um, uh, what is the the Commander Enoch, the creepy-looking, golden-faced, 
oh. I forget what the actual like real world thing is called. There's a word for it in Chinese and some Japanese cultures oh. where they like they glue broken pieces of yes. uh like pottery back together with like yeah. gold and like yeah. silver filament. I, I know, yeah, exactly. It's really cool. Um, um, and it's this whole idea that you're actually like making the 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 scars and scratches like part of the art of a thing, yeah, right. And that's what the aesthetic of his stormtroopers are is well, so cool. I saw somebody talking about this though. What's so cool about it is you have all these broken, re-pieced together armor, and then his perfect, pristine white pressed uniform. It says everything about this guy that they're this ramshackle thing who have embraced this broken and put back together aesthetic, and then this guy who is just perfection as a military yeah. leader when he shows up. And um, the Mickelson brothers are just so good at being creepy weirdos. I know. I'm sure they're <laughs> lovely guys in real life, but both of them are so unsettling as screen presences. You talk about guys who have made the jump from animated to live action, right? And when yeah. they cast Lars Mickelson as Thrawn in Rebels, everyone yeah. was like, yep, totally. Tracks, 100%. I'm glad yeah. Lars Mickelson got his paychecks from that animated work. He's an amazing actor beyond that. But like yeah. he was clearly just like doing some voice work for the back seasons of Rebels. That's great. Will we ever see Thrawn in live action? Probably not, was the thinking at the time. I'm, I absolutely. I think you and I are having conversations about like, hey, it's so cool we got to see him in anything. You know, like it's yeah. just we love Thrawn. You know, obviously we we firmly grew up in the era uh, when the books were our sequels. I always bring that... I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. I'm like, dude, the Thrawn trilogy were episodes 7, 8, and 9 for us as kids. Like, that was 100%. all we had. I was, and I was satisfied with that. Yeah. Um. So Thrawn was, you know, I think particularly to people our age, you know, or, or in our general vicinity, right, is like Thrawn is a big fucking deal because those books were everywhere. Right. And, and so, obviously... Like anything in a multimedia franchise, Thrawn's like backstory and what drives him has become more and more complicated as we tell more and more stories with him. And Timothy Zahn has just never slowed down where that character is concerned. He's always so fixated on that. And I know, uh, at least in Rebels, I'm probably in this to some extent, like Filoni went and, you know, consulted with uh, Zahn. And of course, Zahn basically recreated the character for this new continuity. Yeah. Right. And in, in his books, uh, the the, the uh, Ascendant and um, yeah, there's a there's two trilogies of Thrawn books out right now that are yeah, canon yeah, yeah. to the new continuity, which is so cool. And, and you should definitely go check those out. Um, um, one of which is, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, alliances, I want to say Thrawn Alliances uh, is mm. the one I highly recommend, especially if you want further context for this show um, mm. is specifically about uh, like. Empire Imperial Era Thrawn teaming up with Vader and then Clone Wars Era Thrawn teaming up with Anakin and over the course of the book getting those two stories simultaneously and Thrawn slowly figuring out who Vader is in the present day uh, with those two dueling stories and so like that moment having read that book that moment in this show when Thrawn finds out who Ahsoka's master was of just like mm. that brief pause where he's considering that yeah. fact was so delicious. And another guy who every interview I see with him just loves being this character. 
um, is so excited to play Thrawn. Um, by the way, just looking at his IMDb, uh, Lars Mikkelsen has a son named Thor, and that's just awesome. <sighs> Thor Mikkelsen. There's too many Mikkelsons. <laughs> too many great Mikkelsons. He needs to become an actor. That's all I know. Thor Mikkelsen. Um, he can terrorize a whole new generation of people. <laughs> Uh, but I, and shout out to uh, his work on Sherlock was uh, absolutely mm. settling. Um, that definitely was a, a supervillain performance. But uh, he is, it is so, his performance, much like what we were talking about, we were just praising Rosario Dawson for, is so understated because Thrawn is not a cackling madman. It's one of the things I love about Thrawn. Thrawn is not the 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 Ian McDermott chewing every line of as the Emperor. Thrawn is just, he's fucking got this, man. He's a man with a plan, and you're not going to stop him. He's a, ma- he's a true mastermind and is a, is a, has that military officer resolve of just like, that is what we'll do. And, and so when you find him out here trapped in this other world, he's literally just biding his time. And when everybody shows up, he's just kind of like, of course, time to start the plan. Not even like start the plan. Like at that point, oh. he's already won. Yeah, and it's just like, all right, great. It's just like we knew this was happening. Get that shit on the ship. Get everybody here. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. It's almost what took you so long. Yeah, we're Ron ready. Is a, a character. He 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 is a character who contrasts so well with every most every other villain we see in Star Wars. Who is in unhinged in some way. Who oh. has. Oh, pretty damaged, right? Like, sure. Uh, like, Palpatine's a total psycho. Anakin, and and then subsequently Darth Vader, is just an open wound. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dooku is a man of like endless contradictions. Uh, Grievous is a asthmatic cyborg. Maul is completely <laughs> consumed by hatred. Oh, it's just nothing but yeah. If Maul is rage. Uh, yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. The, the closest uh, thing we get to a Thrawn-esque character in the Star Wars Disney era canon is Snoke in a weird way. Yeah, um, uh, and but, I think, but to, but Snoke being revealed as just another Palpatine manipulation sort of ruins that. Kept him in those pickle jars, you know. What I mean, <laughs> um, Man, I will never get over just the tube full of Snokes. And the idea that the movie just kind of passes it over and goes like, there you go, folks, there was your answer. And this is like, well, I, I don't know that I wanted that. Um, okay. Uh, don't break the seal in that jar of Snokes. Don't well, go stale. To, to a certain extent, he's a little bit, uh, he's, he's higher minded. He's, he's like a, 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 a less ambitious Thrawn is like a Tarkin, right? Yeah. And- but even Tarkin is a little bit more like sadistic. Well, and Tarkin has his ego, right? And yeah. Thrawn is a little more egoless. Uh, he, he's a little... He will never admit to his ego, at least. Uh, which no, is sort of his he downfall. He has an army of guys chanting his name. Yeah, you know? and like he's not stopping them. <laughs> no, that, that's it, exactly. He would never ask them to do it, but he won't stop them. And there, it, there is... He's that, and that's, that's the mystique of him, right? Is that it's so effortless, his presentation... It is just like, well, Thrawn will take over. But the thing I like about him as the heir to the Empire is you're like, oh, shit, this guy probably could make a tyrannical Empire work. Like, right, exactly. he could be the guy who makes the trains run on time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, and it's exactly. like, well, it's not that bad under Thrawn. 
if you have a Palpatine in charge, he's spending yeah. the quarterly budget on building something like the fucking Death Star. Right. If if you've got a guy like Thrawn in charge, he's not yeah. building the Death Star. He's building a thousand little ways to make every Star Destroyer in the fleet more efficient. Right, exactly. It's like, yeah, that guy can actually probably run a pretty good empire. Um, <laughs> and you get that sense that it's almost just like the fall of the empire is very much just like, how unfortunate for you know, and, and for him, he's just like, but anyway, my mission continues. Like he's not a sycophant. Right. And in the books, there's this whole backstory about the, his people, the Chiss, and like the fact that they exist out on the other side of the galaxy that nobody in this, in our Star Wars galaxy really goes to. And mm. there's this whole outside threat that the Chiss ascendancy is dealing with. And Thrawn's whole mission here is to sort of try to like shore up defenses for this outside threat. Um, right. And obviously the show doesn't go into that at all. Um, but what his backstory in the the Thrawn books as they exist in the new canon is just like, no, I'm kind of like aligned with the Empire because it seems to me they're the best bet we have against this thing that my people are fighting. Right. But it's all just kind of like, uh, yeah, he has no belief in Palpatine per se. Right. Yeah. And in fact, once Palpatine's gone, it is what we see here, right? Where he's just kind of like, okay, well, then I'll just do my thing. Right. Yeah, Thrawn would never go along with something like Project Cinder that Palpatine sets off after the Empire falls. Just like, well, if I'm dead, everything needs to burn. No, no, because he's not he's not about chaos. It's all about order with him. And it's a real true like order, you know, like it's like a a thing where and I I, I mean, it's interesting. I saw a thing. uh, I I saw another person. I I like that a lot of this is us just going like somebody said a thing. I disagree, but it's true. Something I, I think that that's true about his character, though, is I saw people go, "Well, if he know if he knew where Ezra was, because he sends uh, Balin and Shin out after Ezra at a certain point, he sends them after Sabine, who he tells like a vague direction of like the last yeah. time we saw Ezra it was this. Well, way. They're talking, to, well, the, yeah, that's it. But the, the people are going like, "Why wasn't he seeking him out to kill him?" I'm like, "Because that didn't have anything to do with his ends at that point." You know, what I mean, like it, it didn't matter. As like soon it, as Ezra, like, stopped... As, assuming Ezra wasn't harassing him on the regular, yeah. Yeah. why would he bother expending resources on that? Because he, that's exactly... And that's the thing we were talking about. He is the antithesis of so many Star Wars villains. And the people who say that, I'm like, no, you're applying, like, Vader or Palpatine logic. Where they would go, like, we don't like that guy. We need to kill him before he starts something. And Thrawn is going, well, if he's just going to live out there with the weird crab people, I don't give a shit. That doesn't affect what I'm up to. The crab people are called the Noti, by the way. N-O-T-I. Okay. All right. Uh, (laughs) But yes, uh, so that's the thing I I thought was so telling about Thrawn. It's just like, well, look, if you want to go chase that, that's fine. Because, you know, that's you're not my really... Because that's the thing I like, too, is he's not like... Balin is not on board with this guy, necessarily. And he's not like, oh, thank God, people with lightsabers are here. He's more like, "Um, if you want to go kill those two Jedi, that'd be cool. Also, as soon as they're outside, it's like, okay, we need to pack up and leave before those force yahoos get back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I've been around when those people get involved in shit, and they are weird, okay? They are really weird. Uh, like, it almost seems, I, I do get the sense that Thrawn is kind of like, if we could keep the force people to a minimum, that was kind of a Palpatine mistake, you know? I mean, that's his whole thing in the original Heir to the Empire trilogy, yeah. right? Is trying to tamp down 
the ability of force users to influence anything. That's why they, yep. he in a thing in that trilogy is like he tracks down this planet of these weird little like lizard ferret things that he is constantly wearing around because they stop the force from happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's the guy absolutely saw, you know, it's just like, well, the downfall was all the crazy, like religious crap that, you know, the, cause I mean, we, we were talking about that a while back. Like, what is the average person's perception in the empire of the force? It's like, well, they don't really like Palpatine is kept to a minimum from right, like in terms of like uh being seen or heard from, right? Because he's right. a cackling weirdo. So the more you keep that guy in the shadows, because it's like I think if you had Palpatine out there going full Palpatine on public addresses, I think more people would be like, I don't know that we should be following this guy. It's one of the things that always like cracks me up when people talk exultantly about Andor and it's like oh yeah and it like stripped out all the force stuff and it's like yeah it's really funny to think about any of the imperial bureaucrats in Andor having to talk to Palpatine directly right. <laughs> I have I have a feeling that there's a lot of like uh you tell me and I will go tell the emperor you know right <laughs> because he's, he's wielding force lightning in his weird chair going like, and then we build a super weapon to destroy the universe. Yeah. Sometimes when you go talk to Vader, you just get choked to death by nothing and no yeah. one can really uh, like question it or stop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I just, I just don't, yeah, but it's like, yeah, but we, <laughs> we need to get like uh, new uniforms. So, you know, it's just like, you can't imagine Palpatine and Vader signing, like, work orders. You know, like, you just can't, there's no way they're they're working out a budget, you know? The new, uh, from a certain point of view, book came out recently, The Return of the Jedi yeah. one. And one yeah. of the first stories is from the point of view of the guy who is told when Vader arrives on the Death Star 2 to... Uh, pick it up because the emperor is coming and he says to vader in the scene in the movie we'll redouble our efforts and then it immediately cuts to his internal monologue of double your efforts that doesn't mean anything from an engineering yeah. standpoint i love it yeah that's it exactly <laughs> but to a couple of weirdos like vader and palpatine it's like great <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's the thing double is, is like, better cool <laughs> yeah exactly it's like thrawn is a good manager you know yeah Thrawn's a tactician. Thrawn is a logistics expert. I mean, he doesn't favorite... care about, like, defeating his enemy. He cares about achieving his uh, victory aims. One of my favorite things, and I don't know, I can't remember what uh, what Thrawn thing this is from. I think it might be going back to Zahn, the, the, the original Thrawn trilogy. Is like, he would study the art of like cultures they were conquering. That's been right? in every Thrawn interpretation. Yeah, that's that was him in Rebels as well. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. But it's like the thing where it's like he will he will learn the psychological fears of a society by absorbing their pop culture, basically. Yeah. So that he exactly. can get the upper hand. Like that's the thing with him, is is he's he's kind of a he would be kind of a nerd in some ways, right? Where it's sort of like it's like, get me all the info. I'm gonna do research. He does it in the show. He's like, yeah. get me the get me the info on Ahsoka Tano, this Jedi that I now yeah. have to deal with. Everything I know about her, I will extrapolate from the fact that I know about Anakin Skywalker. I know how she would have been taught through Jedi teachings. So I can make a plan based on all of that extracted information that I have. 
Yeah. It works. It does. I mean, that's the thing is like that's much tougher uh, to deal with than a guy who's literally going, and then the universe will be mine. I am all the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like the, the the that guy had a brief period of time where he was stable enough to come up with the machinations of the prequels. And then once he was in power, he just went full on nut job. <laughs> That's right. I'm in charge. That's uh, right. Build a second Death Star. This one's bigger. Yeah, that was really his undoing, was he kind of had the one idea and he just kept jamming that, no, more Death Stars. Well, that really didn't, no, more Death Stars. That was the problem, not enough Death Stars. Mm -hmm. And then what if I had a whole fleet of Star Destroyers with me? Oh, He just keeps doing it. He just, he just keeps doing it. I, the, the, his big thing in Rise of Skywalker is just, I made the Death Star gun smaller. <laughs> Ah, I can't beat that. Oh, they, what, did they beat it? Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> as soon as they said fleet of ships with Death Star yeah. technology, I was just like, okay. So it's just everything all at once. Great. Yeah, yeah. I know that is sort of just like, and there it is. Star Wars has been completely collapsed, and now there are just thousands of ships with that are many Death Stars. Great. Yeah. There we go. We're, we've done it, folks. We've officially hit the wall. on like We've officially hit the bottom of the barrel of Star Wars ideas. <laughs> The fact that this show doesn't have any giant super weapons actually made me feel good. Because that, like, that's the thing I like. <laughs> it's what I like is that Thrawn, though, for as he he is all about achieving his goals. So if he's like, I need to get involved with witches and make an army of zombies, that's the best call right now. <laughs> that, I have logically worked this out. The witches and the zombie army. That's really going to work for me. You know the force yet, whatever. But I can effect I can effectively go dark magic, and the undead are going to be big for me. Because that's always worked out well for everyone in the past. Talk about how cool this show is. The whole last episode, most of which is just battling zombie stormtroopers, and I am here for it, man. When you get our three heroes once they they meet back up with Ezra which we haven't even talked about that guy who played Ezra is so good um and obviously talk about a character I already come in loving um and also went on a huge journey from Star Wars Aladdin uh which he 100% I I, I when the Soka was was going I I started rewatching Rebels on Disney Plus and I'm going I forgot how much he's just literally Aladdin in that pilot um you know He's a street rat who's like trying to get one over on the empire. Yeah, like that. It speaks to that, and and same thing. I was hesitant to rebels when it first started because you're like, oh no, this is like the kids show that they wanted to be, and it kind of was. And then like very similar to Jack of Clone Wars, I think always at a certain point Disney's like, hey, you know, we don't really have time to like run this, so, you know. Uh, and then the the more they st and the more it started to just turn back into like continuing Clone Wars and stuff. But um, yeah, Emanus Fondi who plays Wonderful. Ezra in the show. Wonderful. Again, another guy who just like walked right out of the animated series into live action. I think he's perfect in this show. He's so good at capturing, once again, uh, uh, an Ezra who's very familiar to us, but also feels like he's lived a life between when we last saw him in Rebels, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought he was great. But yeah. <laughs> His force kung fu 
yep. in the episode where Sabine meets back up with him. She tries to hand him the lightsaber. He's like, nah, I don't need it. I was just like, oh, that is the most baller Jedi yeah. move I've ever seen. That guy is a huge <laughs> badass, right? Like, it's just yeah. like, I got this. And then, yeah, he's doing Force Kung Fu. And then I love that moment with him and, and, and Hu Yang where he is putting a lightsaber together. And they, they, he realizes that Kanan was his uh, master. And all that stuff was great. And, of course, just keeping Kanan alive in the, the spirit of the show. Well, yeah, from master to apprentice. Like, that's the whole thing, right? It's like the legacy of these characters will always be alive as long as the, the legacy thing. is passed on. That's the thing that's so interesting. We have all these master and relationships. And then through the Ezra and Huyang scenes, we see the the, uh, the effect of Kanan, who obviously is no longer with us. Um, and, uh, but also then, of course, we have just a, a little bit, you know, we talk about there's not a ton of hair, but we also have Jason, who, of course, is is Kanan's son. Um, yeah, um, I'm worried about that kid. Traditionally, <laughs> uh, kids named Jason in the Star Wars universe uh, doesn't super end well. Oh. Uh, but that scene where he's hearing, like, the force spirit of uh, Ahsoka's lightsaber duel. I, the, 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 there's definitely some intriguing threads they start about Jason. I mean, yeah, he is the child of Harrison Dula and uh, Kane and Kane Jarrus, yeah, aka Caleb Doom. Um, yeah. And so, like, clearly they are setting up that like he's got this force sensitivity. There's this whole like rumored Ray's new Jedi Order movie that's in the pipeline somewhere. And one of those, the only, the only thing I have any hope for of the movies coming is the Filoni thing, but that's only because we're, we're, we're actually tracking towards building that in these shows. Yeah. Everything else uh, is so nebulous. Everything else is like, that'd be cool if that existed. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, there is this like younger generation of force users that we have kind of yeah. on the table in this period that we could see like coming to fruition. I would love to see that. Do that. That, that's kind of my idea with Disney keeps pitching. We're thinking about doing this. And I was like, great, do that. Yeah. And then there's this okay. concept they set up in this show that Balin says at some point. It's called, he said, he calls them Boken Jedi, which is such a fun concept of uh, Boken is a training sword in mm -hmm. like samurai culture and yeah. like uh, Kendo. Um, and I've seen enough of that one. <laughs> but this idea that there's this whole generation of quote unquote Jedi that have kind of been trained in the wild as it were. Um, yeah. And, and Ezra is part of that. And Sabine is part of that. And it's yeah. this, so this distillation of traits of the Jedi that is sort of like winding its way through different channels and leaning to leading to characters like Shin, like Ezra, like Sabine. Yeah. It's so interesting. I love it. Is, you know, doesn't have a lot of an arc in this season, but is so fascinating for her wild card sort of, nature that i'm curious what's going to become of her uh shin yeah i yeah. really have no idea yeah um, that's what i mean is there's there's any number of ways to take that character that mm -hmm. i is kind of exciting that, that so much is still on the table with her because she kind of like i said she's kind of just like an anarchist at this point to a certain extent right like she doesn't really she doesn't have the belief system we've seen of so many other force users as presented here and she stays with the 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 throne of it all 
while Balin goes off to do his whatever his own weird journey is. Yeah, she's kind of just like no thoughts, head empty, just dark side vibes at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. She's, <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Is like she feels like this young character who's got a lot of you know anger at the world, like so many young people. This punk rock kind of. <laughs> I've got force powers and I'm mad and it feels like she could be pulled any number of ways because she has no so like what could Thrawn impart on her or you know weird witch ladies oh man um, talk about once again that last episode when they um, when they load up Morgan Elsbeth with being the the, the basically like what, like a super witch kind of <laughs> they give her the uh the, the like the witch sword so she can yeah. fight Ahsoka. Oh god, it's so cool. The, the last episode uh is just filled with such badass action. Um you know, and of course you get the great thing of of uh Sabine force tossing Ezra onto the ship at the end of the thing, which is yeah. great. Um uh, we haven't really talked about uh Deanna Lee uh, Inosanto, yeah. who plays Morgan Elspeth at Ooh. all. Obviously, she was like kind of a one-off bad guy from Book of Boba Fett. She has a much bigger role in this show. No, it's crazy. She did have a cool vibe in... Um, uh, by the way, I like that she's an uncredited bloodbath vampire in Blade, this actress. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, she... Yeah, she was this... She had a she had a cool vibe. She's a, a martial art a martial artist. Totally. Yeah. Um, uh, and and most of her work is not really. This is like probably some of the most like intense acting acting that she's done. Um, she does a lot of martial arts stuff. I think where she does martial arts and then acts. You know, like in those things. But sure. Um, uh, like a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, she was this kind of interesting foil for Ahsoka in Mandalorian. And then yeah, I did not expect her to be. I mean, the whole beginning sequence that we were talking about earlier where Balin and Shin are breaking her out of Republic holding um, is so cool. And then it really, it really builds this like thing. And then you start to just go like, Oh shit, she's involved in something. Cause she had kind of a witch vibe in, you know, yeah, but she was she was just like evil industrialist who also could fight Jedi. Like there was obviously yeah. questions that yeah. needed to be addressed. She was she was all vibe in that, and then here you're like, oh, she's involved in like some of the weirdest shit in the Star Wars universe, which once yeah. again is the literal like dark witch magic. Um, yeah, I love the witches of Dathomir so much because they are so fantastical. Because. Star Wars is always a fantasy, right? It's space oh, wizards. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like we can't 100%. think too hard about like the hard sci-fi elements of Star Wars too much because it just doesn't work. No, and it's not designed to do that. Like if you're coming at Star Wars, you know, look, engage with things however you want, but if you're coming at Star Wars like that, then uh you're wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> like that's just, just not how it's meant to be. It is it is fantasy or space opera, or you know, people call it fairy tale as well, which I think is fair. Yeah. Um, you, you, know. you can never start a conversation about time dilation in Star Wars ever. No, no, that's the then there's a whole other star franchise for you to talk about all that shit with, which is the wonky science fiction of Star Trek, right? Like, and, and even Star Trek doesn't address some of that stuff. Like, if you really <laughs> want to get into it, you got to go to the expanse. Yeah, oh, yes, no, then you get into harder, hard sci fi. It's, it's yeah. a spectrum. Right. Um, yeah. uh, but should, but know. easily the the witches of Dathomir are the most like fantastical thing that has been in Star oh, God, Wars yeah. in quite some time. Well, because it's it's where they're no longer even like obfuscating it. It's just like, oh no, there's a place where there are just witches. 
Yeah. There's a covenant of three witches on a world and they make up, they make zombie people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because, because like we said, because Star Wars already has this kind of built in, you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And that never threw me. If witches popped into Star Trek, I'd be like, what now? Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, unless they're Q, then it's fine. Uh, because they, yeah, I mean, that, like, they, always, they name drop Mother Talzin in this, who is like the big witch in the Clone Wars, who like brings Maul back into the fold. Oh and man, like, some of that, uh, those are some of all the Dathomir stuff in Clone Wars is some of my favorite stuff because it's it's all weird. Like, well, that's the thing I love too about the zombie troopers in this, where I'm like, ooh, I like Star Wars tiptoeing into horror. Like that's cool, man. Yeah, and it was something that Star Wars has done in the past. Like, obviously, there is the whole. Star Wars zombie novel Death Troopers and its sequel Red Harvest that you can go read. Yeah. That was always something I loved as like a little curio that was like, oh yeah, yeah. I've read the Star Wars zombie novel. It's fun, but it's inconsequential. Of course. Yeah. I mean it was it was it was a fun one off. It's the same thing as the uh, Marvel zombies or deceased, right? Stuff like that, (laughs) where you go like, oh, it's fun to imagine this world we know and our characters in it interacting with you know monsters right uh right but here the now the, uh, these aren't called anything but of course i do hear people calling these death troopers but death troopers are the uh the the, the black armored guys i know um, so these I'm, would be like i think in the show they're like subtitled as night troopers oh there you go that's good i like night troopers because they're like troopers brought back to life by night sister magic Still waiting, by the way, for the de- the actual death troops in the black armor to really get some spotlight because cool fucking design and they kind of just stand around in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they fight uh, Chirrut, and yeah, they don't really do a ton. I mean, they, they, they say there's they, well, they don't they don't do much that other stormtroopers don't do. I'm still waiting to like see where why those guys are like the spec ops or seals or whatever or something like why are yeah. they in black and nobody else's i don't know i'm just saying that's on the table do somebody do something with them because sure. i've never seen those designs because they were so heavily promoted during rogue one um, i'm sure they'll show up in andor and we're gonna lose our shit when they like basically perform a seal tix, seal team six maneuver to try to take well, down saw Gerrera or something i always want more competent you know uh stormtroopers and i actually think andor did deliver on that or it's like, oh shit, the stormtroopers are actually kind of scary in this. Yeah. If you don't have a lightsaber, stormtroopers can be pretty terrifying. And in this show, like, even if you have a lightsaber, it turns out if the stormtroopers just don't die, it's a lot well, more problematic. That scene when they just take everybody out and then they're running away and they all just get back up and like re yeah. and it's like, oh man. And I, you know, I'm going like, oh my god, they're zombies. I love it. <laughs> when they first showed up, people go like, Are these guys are they maybe zombies? And then when I they confirm zombies, it's like, oh. I don't think all of them are zombies. I think the ones they that are left behind by Thrawn to, like, slow Ahsoka down, those are all undead. Sure, sure, sure. But, like, Enoch and the ones that are still on the Chimera, which I love that the fact that Thrawn's yeah. <laughs> Star Destroyer is called the Chimera. Um, Badass. And they kept the, like, the snake pattern design on the underside of it. Oh, it's so yeah, good. It's good stuff, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think but, the ones that were left behind are the ones that were like transformed because Thrawn and the great mothers have this whole conversation about like, look, we're going to leave some people behind to slow these Jedi down, but they're willing to make that sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. Um, and that whole sequence I just loved. And like I said, just 
uh, I just love seeing our our three heroes together once they're all with their lightsabers and yeah. and I do love the point. Where I love that Sabine is. I mean, Sabine is like, oh my, especially in this show. I'm like, what a dream character for a start. She's a Mandalorian and a Jedi, so she's you know she's using a laser, and then like a certain point where she's like, fuck it, and busts out her blasters. Then and I'm like, that's awesome. I love Sabine like slowly settling into a fighting style that synthesizes her two halves, right? Like the lightsaber in one hand, the blaster in the other. Because that's a fighting style we just saw in um, uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the video game. Yeah, yes. Um, You could could do a lightsaber and and a blaster, yeah. Yeah, and that's a thing that's been around in Star Wars, specifically video games, uh, since the Jedi Outcast games as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. And it's, it's, it's some Kyle Katarn action in there. Well, of course, one of my favorite lightsabers is Ezra's lightsaber in Rebels that is both a lightsaber and a blaster in the same weapon, which is totally. so, so cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do like that. And I and once again, that's further adding to, and, you know, it's a small thing, but that's further adding to this like synthesis of a Jedi isn't one thing. It's like a Mandalorian Jedi is still going to Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, and- I, I, I like that. What are your thoughts on this show's whole concept that anyone can access the force? Obviously, like this show, like firmly cements the democratization of like with training and effort, anyone can t- reach out and use. The I force. am so radically in favor of that. That is so what I want Star Wars to be. That was my biggest disappointment about backing up the Ray thing. Hmm. That really, because I remember thinking, literally, like in the theater scene Last Jedi, when they talk about she's no one, I'm like, yes, break this idea that this is a, because, and I heard, I can't, I wish I could remember who said this, but they talked about the bummer of Rise of Skywalker to them was, oh, it's a blood feud. Yeah. It's the yeah. Skywalkers versus the Palpatines, and that's just bloody, bloody, blood. It just makes it boring. Like it turns it into like a soap opera or something then, right? Or the Hatfields and McCoys of the force. And it just makes the world smaller and it makes it, I, I think I heard, I think it might've been Kevin Smith who said this too, where he talks about like, it also like when you're a kid, you're like, oh man, the whole appeal is like with the right teacher and the whole thing, I can be a Jedi. And then slowly the franchise has kind of been like, nah, you can't. Sorry, bro. Well, that started with the prequels and the metachlorians, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and the chlorians, yeah, where you just go like, no, there's a predisposition to it, and you're like, mm, yay. And something this show breaks down is this idea that, and, and something the comics have been doing for a while, the Marvel-era comics that we're in right now, has been like, okay, yeah, there is, like, a talent predisposition portion to this because Hu Yang directly says this in this show. No. I'm just like there are certain people that are just going to naturally excel at this stuff. Sure. But with dedication and training and like a willingness to open your mind and like embrace some of this philosophical stuff anyone could technically do it. In the same way that like you and I could technically train our bodies to go run a four minute mile. Are that... we like were we ever physically in a place where like we yeah. could do that naturally. Maybe not. Did we ever dedicate our lives to go doing that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, firmly not. We host a Star Wars podcast. 
exactly. But that's what athletics, I'm saying. It's just like athletics were never in the cards. Uh. <laughs> but what it requires is yes. a dedication of character and principles to embrace these ideals. So you're no, automatically giving it a more narratively interesting in to becoming a Jedi, right? Yes, and that's 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 what I like. That's where the midichlorians can still exist. It's like, yes, some people have a natural aptitude, but anyone technically can if they are committed enough. And the other thing is, Star Wars has to do. They have to do that, or else we're not going to have very many stories, right? Like, you, you can't, because otherwise it's just going to continue to be this thing um, where it's like this chosen few. And the other thing is, I, I like that from... The, the the storytelling standpoint as well of opening up this world and it becomes more interesting when you have the unexpected Jedi. That's the whole thing about, to me, Sabine becoming a, a, a Jedi of sorts, right? It's like somebody you wouldn't expect, somebody who probably even herself doesn't expect it and, and, and does have some maybe a natural aptitude because so much of her in the season is sort of resisting the training despite the fact she has the skills, but she's not... You know, and of course, then then dealing with the idea of like, well, maybe that training isn't her thing. And once again, maybe her idea of being a Jedi isn't the same as Ahsoka's idea of it. And of course, then you get into this whole thing about what even is a Jedi? What is, you know, if you're a Force user, do you have to be a Jedi or a Sith? That's the big thing I'm still waiting for them to start getting into breaking down. Is like, are there just two paths? I think we're edging towards that broader discussion in films or shows in so far as that. And I think it is something that is like being approached kind of obliquely in stuff like star Wars visions, right? Where we get a much broader, more complex creative view of what a star Wars story even is, even if those are like non-canon kind of like outside the realms of even possibility of a star Wars story. They're still star Wars stories and right. like, discussing some of these ideas that we can have about the force and the nature of good versus evil. I think stuff like visions or even some of the novels are kind of exciting in a way of like, well, you, star Wars has certain tropes and themes inherent in it. They don't all have to be adding to this continuity of a narrative. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is more exciting. That's something I, I, I do love in comics and something I, I've long talked about. One of the things I love about, DC versus Marvel, and I think DC has really been good about this, is so many of my favorite DC comics are just a singular story that's here, you know? Um, whereas, and that's why I was talking about, like, I love the characters uh, at DC, but Marvel I read more for that's a world I'm more engaged in. DC I can dip more in and out of. So in the sort of DC versus Marvel debate, I lean Marvel simply because you kind of have to get more absorbed in that, and you can come and go from so i would like to see i like the idea of there being interconnected things in star wars and there's this continuity but the more stuff you can i thought the 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 thing that's connected to but sort of ancillary in some ways is i love that tales of the jedi series they did yeah yeah little bits and pieces from the universe i don't know if you saw these announcements about uh dark horse is is doing new star wars comics again i don't know how that they're but they're doing original self-contained graphic novel stories of characters. And I thought that's really cool. That's the kind of stuff I want to read. Are they doing, cause I know Marvel hasn't been doing like the, the Jedi adventures books, the star Wars adventures books that are like the young adult stuff. Is I, that what Dark Horse is doing? doing no, Dark Horse is doing singular hardcover 
uh, they're doing a Qui-Gon one and an Obi-Wan one. Oh, interesting. No, I didn't see these. Yeah, they, they announced these at New York Comic-Con, and they're just singular... Gra- they're going to come out as just original graphic novels, singular beginning, middle, and end stories of, of different characters throughout the universe. And they're, doing, they're starting with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, each getting their own, which I'm very excited about because I've always wanted more Qui-Gon. I, I think oh, Qui-Gon yeah. is such a fascinating character. And the Tales of the Jedi stuff with him was great. Um, we briefly know. got a little bit of him and like from the Dooku side of things, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Qui Gon is always one of those characters who has had this kind of more anarchic view of the Force and that it shouldn't just belong to the Jedi. I right? To, I can't remember who I was talking to. Were they talking about uh, Qui Gon was the hippie Jedi, right? Where he's like, I don't know, man. Maybe the Force is just for everybody, bro. Right. <laughs> Well, and the further we get into this whole idea of anyone can use the Force, the more it makes the Jedi Order we see in the prequels into this, like, dogmatic, rigid thing that was inevitably going to be destroyed by an outside force. Because it couldn't see beyond the scope of, like, no, you need this many Metachlorians to be a Jedi. And the, 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 not to continue to, like, but... Uh, did you? I, I read the Duel of the Fates script. I, I, don't, I can't remember if you did or not. Um, yeah, but, I have read it. But like that's that was uh, Trevorrow's ending for the trilogy. Was literally all the the ghosts of the Jedi at the end, being Obi Wan and Yoda and stuff, going like, "You have to break the cycle, Ray, of trying to overpower this thing and finding the balance in it." She can be the one who you know actually like embraces the, the not you know star wars fans love to throw out the term gray jedi all right it's not in the script but like that idea of like it's it's not about it's about balancing the light and the dark yeah and jd yeah. Abrams said fuck that shit <laughs> <laughs> well and there are different ideas about that as well because yeah. like is it a balance of the light and the dark or is it not letting the dark overwhelm you is it trying right. to like use both like i the idea that of this gray Jedi is like, oh, a Jedi who can use force lightning. It's like, no, because yeah. like the force lightning is still like a corrupting power of like aggression and yeah. using your anger and unleashing it. But I, I look at it, I look at it in the way of the, like we keep talking about the dogmatic nature of it. This yeah. idea of ignoring those emotions right of, of not even acknowledging them and pushing them down and anakin skywalker is the representation of what happens when there's a, a a very raw nerve of a guy and they're telling him like just forget that shit okay yeah. calm down just be good right and it's sort of like acknowledging that that people are complicated is sort of what i think is is what it is and choosing you know what is what is the, the the morally right thing to do, not just what the light side says you should do? That's kind of, of where my, I want to see them get to. One of my favorite Anakin stories in the Clone Wars show is the one where they're on that planet that is run by, like, the slaver culture. And mm. he's having to address, like, oh, I was a slave as a kid. And now Anakin, the raw nerve, the open wound, yeah. is having to, like address a political issue on a world whose like whole society is structured on something he hates so much it is a very fascinating character study of anakin skywalker absolutely and it's sort of like the idea of that there's no outlet then to address those feelings in the in the jedi right it's just sort of like no man you just gotta suck it up and it's like (laughs) that's not a healthy way to do stuff um and and that's a big part of this show is just like the 
the teachings of people who across the generations maybe have had the wrong idea about things or have had ideas about things that wouldn't work for a more modern person and how maybe not totally discarding all of those old ideas, but being able to synthesize them into a modern context. And maybe this show has something to say about modern culture. Wow. I know. <laughs> well, that's always the thing, too, where, you know, I mean, look at it, Chris, the the, the shittiness of people always wanting to you know, keep your politics out of whatever. It's like, yeah, dude, Lucas was you can go back to interviews where he's like, no, I was expressly talking about Vietnam in the original Star Wars. Like, right. and, and, and I mean, my God, it's to the film's detriment that he's so nakedly talking about the Bush administration and the prequels, right? Like he's not, doing, he's not doing it very cleverly in those. I mean, Revenge of the Sith is so clearly a reaction to 9-11 in so many ways. Well, what's interesting is starting from episode one, you just see like what Lucas is mad about in politics across each of those. <laughs> yeah. People eventually literally, although I mean the, the, you know, there are great moments about, so this is how democracy dies or whatever, right? Like that stuff is great. Yeah. And there are moments where it's like, that's great. Lose maybe two other Senate scenes and, and we've got a movie here. Um, <laughs> but it, you can almost feel like he's typing going like, Ooh, <clears throat> Oh boy. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just saw, I was just watching CNN and now I'm pissed. All right. <laughs> Senator Palpatine walks into the, you know, um, so I am uh, the Senate. Yeah. 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 And, and so, yeah, that, the, the, of course the whole idea, you know, I mean, I, I, I am one of those whatever it's a cliche but like all art is political is uh, is I, I definitely something i agree with yeah 100 percent. you can't uh, keep that out of there even if you try no and, and i don't think this show is even trying because no. it has some clear things to say about trauma and cycles of violence and what we learn from the past and how to break those cycles or take those cycles into and ourselves it, to make really, ourselves better in a really broad way like i'm saying like yeah. it's not like directly addressed when people talk about political stuff it's like that doesn't mean you're talking about literally like the current political thing. We're talking about large human, you know, things. I, I just, this thing is so interesting. Um, people's reaction to that stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I think this show does a great job of getting at the core of some stuff. I think Star Wars has always been about, but coming at it in a, you know, in a new way. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to I'm going down the list here of like what what are, what is stuff we haven't really talked about in the show. The only thing I do want to bring up that uh, ties back a little bit to the whole like week to week nature of this show and yeah. people not uh, taking the full context of this show because they didn't have it yet, but still right. like going crazy. Yeah, can we talk about the the mook in the mask, Maroc? Uh, who is like in the first four episodes of this show. And he's just like a dude with a red lightsaber who Ahsoka can body later in the series. Right. That's right. That's right. The guy, the guy they can kill off a later, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone lost their goddamn minds about that guy because like, yeah. oh, a guy with a mask, who could it be? Nobody <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> I, here's the thing about, as soon as I start to hear, who could this be? Who could this be in anything my first thought is always, it'll be nobody. Because nine <laughs> times out of ten, it's never a thing. People, that that is the thing that is, to me, aside from all the toxic fandom, which I think can mostly just be written off, because those guys are in their own corner of the internet. And I say guys, because it mostly is. Um, 
but uh and and you know but right and so that stuff i can just kind of like put over here the people who really annoy me the the one of the biggest things about internet discourse is the theories oh the non-stop th- and i get it but at the same time i just get so tired of oh the secret reveal that this will be this and this is that and then and then of course the being upset when it isn't that and just like but you made that up yeah no one said that was going to happen. Use the word theory, I think, very specifically when in the context of Star Wars, right? There's yeah. a specific YouTube channel we can maybe point people to if you yeah. want to, like, has maybe lost the way in terms of fandom. I don't know. Like, I don't want to get in the middle of that discourse at all. I, all I will point people towards is, like, if you want a community that, like... uh is maybe trying to get away from that stuff. There is a subreddit called saltier than crate, uh, as in the planet from the last Jedi. Oh, um, planet. Yeah. Yeah. But it is spelled K R a Y T as opposed to how it's like, there is a saltier than crate C R a I T. Yeah. Uh, and that one has also now descended into a little bit more of just like the, the fanboy, like, er, so angry at things that I don't think are, should be the way they are. Right, um, right, right. But the, the saltier than crate K R A Y T uh, is a decent community of people like looking at some of these more toxic reactions and just asking questions like why? Why well, just I like I, I mean the my my thing is always just I I don't you know and I of course of course anyone who listens to our podcast and has for a long time knows I have a reputation for being too kind to things. Um you know, but I think in a lot of ways that is just because I, I don't I don't like being angry. I don't like negative yeah. emotions. So I, I kind of if I don't like something, a lot of the time my reaction is kind of like, oh, that's, yeah, that wasn't good. And then I kind of move on for me moving on. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Right. And so or I will go like if we're talking about a thing, it's like, well, if we're going to talk about something for like a couple hours, I'm going to focus on the things that were good about it because I generally like staying that, you know. Uh, I do a lot of, we do over on Meet the Monsters do a lot of, well, something they could have done. But I feel better about trying to correct movies from 45 years ago. <laughs> and, you know, because it's sort of like, and it's not really out of anger, but like, you know, Brendan and I trying to fix the plots of Hammer movies is not really <laughs> toxic fandom. So, like, you know, a thing they could have done with Dracula in 1972 was this. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the inherent problems with Blackula, and then we'll move yeah. on from there. <laughs> oh man, I legit have a great pitch for a modern Blackula. I really, I really think I've got something. Does it start with not calling it Blackula? Because I don't know how we move on from that. Well, the thing, the thing that's that's, that's so insane <laughs> in the movie, of course, is that the character's name isn't actually Blackula, but um, right. Yeah, it's just the title. So, I, yeah, I don't know what you do about that because um, of course that's the brand. But anyway, I think there's. The, the, Blackula is a perfect example, and, and you poke the bear by saying that. But um, I know, I know. But uh, is uh, is there's a lot of stuff that you could spin into being very progressive and interesting, and they just don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just like it's, well, I, but I will say Blackula much better than Blackenstein. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Which we also did, and stay tuned for that because I, I think it's coming out in a couple of weeks. Actually, on the main feed, the the Blackenstein, both the Blackula and Blackenstein, and of course, Scream Blackula Scream, the 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 second sure. Blackula. Yes, of course. Um, but uh, <laughs> we talk about all those over and go. Make sure you subscribe to Meet the Monsters. Um, but uh, yeah, so 
no, I think I think that's the thing about like everybody. I literally saw um, uh, who I think, and I won't say his name, but I'll just say who I consider to be the worst film critic in America. Um, but wow. literally, yeah, I did, figure it out. I don't think you'd have to go far back in our archives to figure out who I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> but no, but literally, I, I I actually heard him sincerely say this. He said. You know what they really should do if they really want to fix Star Wars? What you do is you get a panel of the top Star Wars YouTubers and you run scripts by them. And if the, and I'm like, that is the worst fucking idea I've ever heard in my life. Because number one, there's no way those guys would even agree on anything, probably. That's and how we get Rise of Skywalker. Uh, that's exactly right. Like, I, I remember that reaction from some people about Rise of Skywalker. They go, I'm sorry, did Reddit write this? That that movie is a movie that is that suffered its biggest problem at the center is it's trying to please every kind of Star Wars fan and just yeah. not rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore in the it process has, it sinks. Yeah, it has no identity. It says nothing. <laughs> one of my one of my, my favorite things is like uh, just talking about the 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 romances of the new prequel. They go, whatever couple you shipped is still totally valid by the end of that movie. I love that you called them the new prequels just now. <laughs> Did I? I should, yeah. <laughs> they are the new prequels. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know, because I will say the best thing those sequels did is make me go, well, maybe those prequels aren't that bad. <laughs> I know, right? It made us reconsider George Lucas as a filmmaker uh, I, without realistically actually going back and watching those films before well, going, because, oh, yeah, actually, no. Well, because what, what, what I have come down to about the prequels is this. They are very flawed. But what what they have over the sequels is I do see the ambition. I yeah. do see I see what Lucas is trying. He's failing. I, if you <laughs> love the prequels, more power to you. That the, there are people who love those movies, and that's great. I love what those movies want to be. There yeah. is a re- and 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 I I think it's in that book we both were uh, uh, big fans of Secrets of the Force, the history of Star mm-hmm. Wars. But I think there's somebody in there who said this, and he goes, "If I were to just tell you." the basic story of those three movies, you'd be like, that's a great story. Like just point by point, this is the story of Anakin Skywalker's downfall. You'd be going like, wow, that sounds pretty interesting. And you're like, yeah, it's not presented very interesting. And that's what makes Ahsoka such to bring it back around to like, thank you for getting us back around to Ahsoka. (laughs) A term I think you use, and I've started using since I heard you say it is, the Clone Wars works as scaffolding for the yes. prequels. Yeah. It is a support structure around yeah. which the prequels and all of their shaky messiness yeah. are held up by yeah. the context that we are given via the Clone Wars. Yeah. And the fact that Ahsoka is such a big part of the prequels without ever appearing in the prequels I, is something that, that this show doubles down on. Yeah. It, 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 that's why the, that, but the thing I always say about that too, because people talk about the Clone Wars makes the prequels good. You're like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. <laughs> in some ways, it makes them worse because now in comparison, you're going, well, they could have been this. But what it does is, that's it exactly right about the scaffolding, because what it does is, if you just watch the Clone Wars and just kind of remember what happens in the prequels mm-hmm. and watch this and just kind of remember what happens in the prequels, it's all a pretty good story. Like it, yeah, it, it, but but don't watch them. <laughs> or if it's, you do, be prepared that it's not it's not as good. 
it's something the Obi-Wan show did as well when they yeah. have that recast yes. at the beginning of Obi-Wan yes. that is oh. just like a supercut of the prequels. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember all of those events in sequence. And so the dramatic story in my head, having not I'm, watched those three movies and just this supercut is really I, compelling. I'm sure you have as well. I, like I've, I've always heard about and I really would love to see the Topher Grace edit where he makes him one movie. Because mm. uh, he screened that around, people go like, "It's pretty fucking good." Like, <laughs> and like, I'm sure, I'm sure it has its issues because you're still sure. working with the material well, that it's. Well, been people doing. talk about he condensed all three movies down into one film, and they go, "It's pretty good." Because <laughs> I do stand by episode one. You could almost lose entirely. You could yeah. almost lose entirely, and those movies would be better. Episode one. I've seen now enough times to go, that movie flat out almost has no value. I mean, really, I mean, other than there's some good ideas, some cool characters, some good designs, but like story-wise, it does so little. The only thing it that is important narratively in that movie is that Anakin becomes Obi-Wan's right. uh, apprentice and Anakin becomes infatuated with Padme. And actually, from what I gather in that Topher Grace cut, he just uses a couple scenes as flashbacks hmm. from episode one. Um, and that's an interesting approach. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I just think it is so interesting. Uh, and and some the thing I've started to get with Mandalorian, I think I talked about this in Mandalorian, and now this, is are these shows going to start become scaffolding for the sequels? Because there are stuff about like the building of the First Order and stuff. I'm like... Oh, Filoni, you crafty bastard. Are you going to try to make those sequels make sense? He's going to try to at least recontextualize them. I, do I think, think. There, I think there's going to be some recontextualization. And we that started back when Resistance was a show. The show mm. nobody remembers because it's I very saw, forgettable. <laughs> I saw almost nothing. That one was the, the first one where people go like, no. Like, you know, because everything was like, no, no, give Clone Wars a chance. Give Rebels a chance. There's good stuff. It builds something. But the general action to Resistance seemed to be like, mm, no. Because people, the context for Resistance was the sequels, which people were already pretty sour on. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so when you're starting from that spot, uh, without any nostalgia, without any love, it's really right. hard to build on, like, but everyone likes Poe Dameron, right? He shows up for a couple episodes in Resistance. Well, that was my big thing. I was like, oh, nice, a Poe Dameron show? Oh, he's like, you know. No. no. It's, that it's a BB-8 show. BB-8's around quite a bit. Eh, I'm I'm okay about BB. He's fine. Uh, <laughs> but as you know, I was way into Poe Dameron is the most interesting character. And then they, I mean, well, all right. Never mind. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the fact that Ahsoka is doing such an interesting job of recontextualizing our thoughts about the the story and the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker as like a a true like epic tragedy. Ignore yeah. the movies and just think about the scope of that story from the perspective of the people who lived through it. Like Ahsoka is an interesting way that they have kind of like backfilled the quality of the sequ of, of the prequels i think add obi-wan to that as well too because yeah. i mean so much yeah. of that of course is finding obi-wan in maybe the most interesting place to find him in any of the stories which is i have failed uh i am now you know exiled uh, of my own accord to some extent and he's really floundering and you know what is it what is it what am i supposed to do yeah no, uh, God, I got to rewatch Obi Wan. I really, I've watched that show a few times at I, this point. 
I really, really like love Obi Wan, and the I mean, like I said, you can nitpick stuff or talk about pacing or whatever, but like it really lands all the big stuff. And that's kind of always my thing too. Is like if you land the big moments, I will forgive a lot. A lot of other stuff will fall apart. Uh, the fact that there are people who think that's garbage are just like, I don't know what you're looking at, truly. Well, I do. Actually, I do, because I've heard what they think is garbage, and, and they're just prejudiced monsters. And I just like, okay, then what is good to you? Yeah. No, <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, that does always come back to that, right, with those things. It's just like, w- could you like anything? And I think no, because that's not their business model. Sure. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, the business have, model. That's the problem. The algorithm that, needs uh, uh, rage. They have to yell about pronouns in Starfield, man, or else what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That video is so fucking funny of that guy losing his shit over that. There's been some new ones with uh, the, the new Spider-Man game that just came out. I saw some oh. screed posted online of just like, why are there pride flags in New York? <laughs> Yeah, that's so unrealistic. Yeah, New York City. Yeah. When did New York City go woke? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, eighteen uh, sixty yeah. something. Yeah, well, I gotta see when did they found New York City. Um, I love there's a meme somebody had of when did Star Trek go woke, and it's just nineteen sixty six. Literally the wokest thing ever, and it always has been. Um, yeah. By the way, I did play that new Spider-Man game and it fucking rules and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I just started playing it myself. I'm very excited to get it. It is great. I just finished it the other day. I think those Osborne boys might be up to no good. It's just a suspicion of mine. Them Osborne boys sure want to mess up trouble. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really, really good. I highly recommend that. Well, let's wrap this up. Normally we start the show with this, but we we jumped right into Ahsoka. Uh, I just played Spider-Man 2. Really loved it. Gurgoni, what, what, what's, you know, in the last month, has there been some stuff you were really digging? I mean, I've been, I was all in on Baldur's Gate 3 there for about two yeah. months, uh, and I just beat that Seems game pretty recently, actually. talking about, so, yeah. It is the new gold standard for storytelling RPGs, in my opinion. Sure. Um, it, it is quickly surpassed Mass Effect for me in terms of, like, video games that I will probably, or RPGs that I can like realistically put a hundred plus hours into on a playthrough and that I will commit to doing that on a uh, like yearly basis. Cause like for the longest time, the mass effect trilogy was always like, yeah, I can now plow through those games pretty efficiently within yeah. like 60 hours and get through all three games yeah. and like get what I want out of that, which is like a really compelling story. Uh, but there's not a ton of variation on the mass effect story. You're kind of going to get the same thing every time Baldur's right. gate has really opened eyes for people in terms of like what a sprawling role-playing game story can be. Cause there's just so much variation on terms of like decision points in that game that can lead you into different directions and to bits of the game that you'd, you'd never see otherwise. Yeah. I mean, that sounds aggressively not my thing, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm no, I thought people love it and that's great. Um, on the opposite end of that, I've been playing a little bit of Spider-Man 2, and it turns out Spider-Man is still a really fun game. Slinging webs is really uh, fun. I, I still can't quite get the handle on the web wings bits of it, but... The web wings are tough, man. I'm not sure I ever really figured those out, but sorry, but now that is aggressively my thing, because I can just kind of ignore a lot of the other shit and play through the story. I am the guy... 
every time I play one of these games, I do a, a couple of the like side missions or quests, and then go ah fuck this and just start playing the main thing. <laughs> That's always me though, because because well, number one, I re- I think the story is really really good, so I do actually just want to know what happens. Um, and also I think, uh, you know, I know I told somebody this and of course it's one of those low bar, but it's like, man, what a better telling of the symbiote and Venom story than Spider-Man three. They really, (laughs) really do a good job with it. Uh, and really play it as we were talking about Star Wars becoming horror. One of the things I really like about is really playing the symbiote story as like a possession, like a horror story, you know, Mm -hmm. really cool Um, take. I, uh. I was just playing this game with uh, my my, uh, my girlfriend's sister was staying us with us for a couple of days, and she doesn't really play video games ever. Um, mm. She she's kind of a doesn't really engage with media outside of like the movies she'll watch on Netflix occasionally, uh, sort of person, which is like an alien to us, right? I was gonna say does not compute <laughs> exactly, but like she was watching me play this game for a little while, and yeah. she was just like, "So wait, are you watching a movie or playing a game?" And I had to yeah. explain, like, "No, this is just what video games look like yeah. right now. Like, this is where yeah. we're at." And she was like, "I don't understand. I really can't." She couldn't gel the fact that like all yeah. of the graphic, like, I guess for someone who's so far removed from like video game and like pop culture stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's would be wild to like comprehend if you like the last video game you remember is like Crash Bandicoot and then you get shown <laughs> Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2, I will say, I mean the the graphics, the the performances in it are astounding. I was just yeah. like there were times I was just watching like the face movements of stuff going like wow. This the, the is stray real. hairs on MJ's yeah. head is just like this is where we're at, damn. I, and I was just looking at, like, look at the, the costumes look real. Like, I'm like, I could touch that fabric. Like, the Spider-Man suits really seem like they're made of a material. And you're like, what was is- your what's your uh, What was your go-to suit? Oh, I kept him in his classic comic book suit. Oh, okay, okay. The blue, the blue and red. I, I really like the, the old school, just the Ditko design. That was my thing. I have been leaning uh, Superior Spider-Man for a little Ooh, while now. Cool. That's also yeah, good. I was I, very I, happy to see that show up in the game. That is very cool. No, I just, I still just love him in his classic blue and red. That's not the video game redesign, but is just the classic comic book suit. I love that so much. Totally. Um, I just yeah. unlocked the uh, the Spider Man Noir suit. I want to run around with that. Oh, that's bit, nice. Because it looks that's very nice. silly. It, it does. It, it's, it's like when people played uh, Arkham Knight in the uh, Adam West costume. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I will highly recommend is I just saw a, a movie that uh, uh, this is a masterpiece, uh, and that is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. John, uh, John, John, are yeah. you telling me that Martin Scorsese made a good movie? Martin Scorsese made a great movie, Gurgoni. Uh, you know, the, the thing about the uh, whenever I see him, or I thought, I thought this with the Fablemans last year with Spielberg, is like, Oh right, these guys are still the masters of like American cinema, and mm-hmm. you know they they West Side Story as well for Spielberg. I had a similar reaction. We just go like, right, there is something to you know because you have guys like Tarantino who I love, but going like, yeah, you know I'm going to retire because old guys don't make good movies. And you're like, well, here are two guys pushing eighty who are still doing amazing, astounding, important work, and I know, I know. Killers of the Flower Moon is three and a half hours. All right. I'm aware of it. And I understand people go like, when am I going to go to the bathroom? 
it's okay, folks. You know, it will be on Apple. It's an Apple movie, so eventually it'll end up on Apple, and you can watch it in pieces or whatever. But it is. Uh, this is like one of those movies, though, where it's like, and I know it sounds like an old man thing, but it's like people need to see this movie. It's 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 vitally important for you to hear this story, and it is. It's unpleasant. It's extremely dark and violent. Um, but it's an extremely dark and violent story of of, of something really awful that really happened and i think it's important that that people confront that um yeah, i saw it i saw it at, at 11 in the morning with a crowd where i was the youngest person by a good couple decades um in imax though it's an astounding it's a it's one of his most visually stunning movies he's talked about is probably as close to a western as he'll ever make with the wide open planes and stuff like mm. that um because he he's sort of talking he goes like i don't really have anything to say about the the actual old west uh, you know, but it's like here's the here's the thing that that feels that way. Uh, I, I, an interesting anecdote from that that I that I want to share though is I, I I've I've never been in the presence of this. A guy came in about an hour into the movie and started yelling at the screen in protest. Uh, about what? Uh, this film is an abomination. Uh, there is a contingent that feels it is. Uh, that it is made by a white filmmaker, therefore they are profiting off the blood of indigenous people. You know, and, and, and of course that's a, look, I, I 100% recognize I am not a part of that community, so I don't, I don't know, but I will say from what I've watched, and I've watched a lot of interviews and stuff about the movie, you know, he worked, Scorsese worked intensely with the actual Osage and almost all of the, the sort of non-main characters are played by the actual leaders of the Osage tribes. For for those who don't know, this movie is about the like rampant murder of the Osage Nation people in the 1920s in Oklahoma so that white people could steal their land, essentially. Yeah, well, they struck oil was the thing. And so suddenly yeah. they became, and the movie starts with this title card, they became the wealthiest people in America per capita. The wealthiest yeah. individuals in America in the 1920s were the Osage uh, Native Americans uh, tribe. And yeah, basically these white people came in and just started systematically murdering them to take their their money and 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 control of the oil. Um, yeah. And it is, it is a, a shocking story, really. Uh, you know, that like, and this book, the, the book this is based on was extremely popular. And... Um, the, through this is basically the birth of the FBI from this event because it finally t almost they didn't create the FBI to solve this crime but it basically without the FBI nobody they would have gotten away with this completely if there wasn't some form of federal law enforcement right because of the reservation system and because of a lot yeah. of other bullshit things that were I mean, honestly, still go on to this day uh, well, about how law enforcement across like state jurisdiction works. Not to get, you know, too political, but I will say it is this is an important movie, too, to go like whenever I hear Republican and conservative politicians talking about, yeah, we need to get rid of the FBI. It's like, well, look, I have my issues about the individual actions of the FBI and certain stuff. But having an overarching federal investigation service is kind of important because of people like you. And this, <laughs> this movie is kind of that thing where it's like until somebody was like, holy and, and it's 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 but it's an incredible movie. Uh, yeah. You know, once again, hot take Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, incredible in it. Um, you know, Shot good actor. Lily Gladstone, who is this 
one of those famous like she came out of nowhere despite the fact she's been acting for 10 years but you know uh who plays the 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 sort of uh main osage character in the movie is she's incredible in it and it's just it's just an excellent movie that everybody but yes i do know there are some people who are upset that it is not made by there's a i wish i could remember who it was but i watched a great uh indigenous uh film critic uh film reviewer filmmaker who does youtube reviews and he talked about it from the perspective he's navajo but you know talking about it from the perspective of being a native american and watching it and addressing some of those issues and i thought he brought up a lot of interesting points um mm. about this movie and specifically why it is the way it is and why it needed to exist in this way um so anyway highly recommend killers of the flower moon i know it's long i know it's dark um but it's really really exceptional like next level filmmaking so um so uh next month we'll be back of course next week we'll be back to talking about star wars and we're we'll, we're diving back to the 70s now that we're done with manga um and in <laughs> fact we'll get next week a very interesting tale of obi-wan from what they thought obi-wan's past was like <laughs> in 1979 yeah if you thought the prequels and the uh uh, the Obi-Wan show. We're not a wild enough take. Yeah. We'll strap yeah. in for what if Obi-Wan but, but Steranko was in charge. <laughs> um, but uh, but next month's panel op uh, will be the December episode, which means things are going to get a little festive as we talk about some Doctor Who holiday specials. Because that's right, the Doctor's mm. 60th anniversary holiday specials are airing at the no- at the end of November here. So we will be sure to talk about those. Uh, we haven't really talked about Doctor Who extensively on here, so. Will I cry because David Tennant shows back up? We'll see. Dude, the trailers to that, and I literally, I saw the, I watched the trailer for him, and I'm just going, I'm sure this new guy is going to be great, but I'm going, can't he just play this forever? <laughs> I just love David Tennant as the Doctor so much. Um, the so fact that it, they've opened up the door to like get him back every once in a while with these yeah. specials, I, that's enough for me. Let the guy have his bromance with uh, Michael Sheen <laughs> Michael Sheen for the rest of time because those two saw, are a treasure. You saw they're doing a, a third Good Omens, right? <sighs> have you watched the second season of Good Omens? I actually haven't gotten to it yet, no. It's fine. I'm glad those two are getting to work together more. That's the draw, obviously. I think uh, yeah, that that is a show that seems to be uh, uh, continuing its life because those two can't get enough of doing it. Yeah, and that's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sh- should there have been more than one season of Good Omens, that is a debate I can have at another time. Okay, uh, and maybe we will. But yeah, so uh, join us next month for that, and of course, continue to watch us talk about old Star Wars comics if you're not already. Uh, liking and subscribe to us uh, here on YouTube if that's where you're watching us be sure to do that below hit the bell for notifications uh, and of course if you're listening to us uh, be sure to uh, rate and review us on whatever podcasting software you use because that is uh, very actually and that's one of those things where people go like it's super it is actually super important yeah, I mean, because it, what it does is it highlights our show to like uh, let people know if they like one show, if ours is highly rated, it will like recommend us, yeah. and so it will expand our listenership to uh, new horizons. Yeah, I just new always galaxies want to that because it's like every YouTube and and podcast says that, but it's like yeah. no, it actually it actually is really true. Uh, yeah, but. I had to get it explained to me, like, why is it true, though? Yeah, yeah, because it seems arbitrary. But no, just just rate and review us on there, uh, please. Yeah. Uh, and of course, if you want to help support the show even more, you can go to our patron page over on Podbean, which is uh, patron.podbean.com 
slash punch up where you can uh, support the show as well as get cool exclusive bonus content from all the shows here at the punch up entertainment network including material components campbell and jones meet the monsters and i just had a comment about this on one of our other videos the action shelf is on hiatus it is not going away as much as it's becoming something new and bigger that we'll be launching next year early next year january uh in the same way that panel up eventually became may the panel be with you with occasional breaks uh the action shelf is becoming uh, a reformatting if you will but if you Uh, enjoy the action shelf if you enjoy michael lisman and i talking about movies like that in that manner that will be continuing in a much bigger and broader spectrum i think actually will be an even more fun show um than the action shelf just because i we we kind of hit the I I think that 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 ultimately stemmed from it's like I think we've covered the straight to video action genre. <laughs> the fact that you could you could cover one of those movies every yeah. single day for the rest of time yeah. and die of old age before you, you got to the you end. You heard maybe the last couple months of shows it's a lot of us going I think we've seen this movie 18 times now. Um, <laughs> we came to realize there were only about five movies and they just kept making them again and again and again. So yeah. we're going to be doing something a little bit bigger, which we'll have announcements about and you'll hear all kinds of stuff as it's uh, as it's going. We're, Michael and I are still uh, putting that together. So uh, just stay tuned for that. Don't worry if you're an Action Shell fan. Like I said, we, I know I know that they're, they're out there and I've gotten the comments. Uh, I hear you, and uh, the, we're still we're still going to be doing it. So um, I'm just saying, so long as this new version still has the winning opinion, I will be sated. <laughs> I think you know uh, Bruce winning will appear when necessary. As always. okay, okay, yeah, when necessary, when necessary. Uh, so uh, yeah, but uh, of course we, we want to thank you for uh, checking us out. But uh, that's going to do it for this month's episode of Panel Up. I'm John Campbell, and I will always be Mike Gargoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down.